I'm Max Brook, RPG producer at Fantasy Flight Games, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. This is Keith Ryan Capital, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast because I'm too busy freelancing for Fantasy Flight Games. Hey, this is a storyteller from West Virginia. I will never, ever listen to the Order 66 podcast because what I hear, they are racist against Wookiees. This episode of the Order 66 podcast brought to you by the generous donations of Kevin Malone, Donald Weller, B. Witzel, Andy Bethel, Darren Hampton, Trevor Hill, and William Sullivan, as well as lots of viewers and listeners like you. Broadcast live, you're listening to the Order 66 podcast. Brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and Wayne Basta, author of the Aristia series of novels. What is up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here, and for those who may be tuning in for the foist time, this is the Order 66 podcast, the original podcast devoted to Star Wars role-playing. And we have a bevy of co-hosts with me tonight, my my partners in crime, the gentlemen who uh, really keep the show running and kind of make life worth living every week for me. I really, you know, think I would curl up into a small ball and just wither away without them. GM Phil, what's up, dude? Not much, not much. Your stomping, tromping, super trooping, trooper, colon commander from the north. Checking in here. Damn. That's that's impressive. I, I do what I can. It, it's for the children, so you understand. <laughs> Dave, GM Dave, is your, uh, is your uh, mild level of intoxication also for the children's? Sure, I guess you can call me your bumbling, stumbling co-host from the south. <laughs> Happy uh, Memorial Day, everyone! Happy Everybody. Memorial Day. That's right. Moment of silence and remembrance. Seriously, for all for um, yeah for, for for those who gave all, so that I could literally be here, free to podcast about whatever the hell I want. Um, thank you, thank you. Um, very very cool, man. So yeah, what you've been uh, you've been busy by the poolside, uh, kind of you know. Uh, I've been poolside, getting my drink on. Kind of, you know, chilling. I discovered Lone Star Taps and Caps. Ooh, what's that? It's like this giant house. Uh, they have like 51 different things on tap, and uh, you can go fill up your 1.76 liter, what do you call it, a growler. Ah. And, um, yeah, so we had some. We had a whole bunch of hard cider, and, uh, and then I started bringing out the vodka and rum and making all kinds of fruit drinks celebrating the men and women who've given their lives for our country by getting sloshed in their honor exactly yeah something like that <laughs> well speaking of getting sloshed in their honor um we're also welcome to proud to welcome back to the show uh a familiar voice uh special guest uh, friend of the show and freelancer for fantasy flight games 
Keith Kappel, what's up, man? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you are here, sir. Um, Happy to be here. We, uh, how, what Have you done anything crazy or exciting this Memorial weekend? I worked. I worked, and it was busy. I worked in the, the bar scene. But uh, uh, no, nothing, nothing too crazy. I, I watched other people uh, drink and be crazy. But <laughs> I saved my craziness for, like, weekday evenings when no one else is out. Ah, okay. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. But you're a professional purveyor of uh, of of drunkenness as well. So I, I, it's true. I am a trained professional. You are you are a trained professional at several things, including you know the, the slinging of the sauce. So right. yeah, trained by the Navy first, and then uh, American <laughs> Bartending Academy second. But yeah, <laughs> it's true. I love it. I love it. Well, we have brought Keith on to talk to us about our meat of the show segment, which I am very kind of I'm kind of excited to talk about this. This is something I didn't think we would probably ever get to in any reasonable fashion, but um, thanks to some recent uh, uh, social media guruing, um, we have kind of this was requested as one of our number one show topics. Yeah, right. So that's right. It's overwhelming from what I saw. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it was yeah. I think I think when they saw everybody playing as Miss Mace Mace Windu, they were all like, "Wow, that's an awesome game." Uh, Miss Windu was the gender swapped play of uh, Mace Windu. Yeah. Miss yep. Windu, is that what you said? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was fun to run that game for you guys at uh, uh, Gamer Nation Con, and. Uh, if that influenced the show topic, I will take full credit. <laughs> I think it may have. <laughs> it certainly made you an authority that we wanted to have on the show with us today. That's yep, just yep. good branding on my part. That's, <laughs> that's just thinking ahead. We're going to call you Keith High XP Capital from now on. <laughs> H- HXP. It's like, what's up? What's up, HXP? <laughs> that's your DJ name. Yeah, I'll take it. DJ HXP. Oh, man. All right. Well, I want to get to our meat of the show. But before we do that, we, I believe, have some announcements. 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 Hello there. What have we here? Good news. We got a feature podcast this week? We do, man. It's D20 Radio's own Grim Dark Podcast. This is Warhammer 40K, and they continue to provide awesome, fun, and great advice about role-playing in that world. And they've recently released their (coughs) 66th episode. (laughs) Woo! Indeed, they're real now. Uh, It's called Faith Beyond Reason. The hosts explore the faith and the fire of dark heresy. Take a hard look at character, trait system, discuss the fanatic role, give a good review of Damon Hunter, and talk about converting from first edition to second edition. It's a really, really good show for you 40K junkies that love you some dark heresy. So check it out. And, of course, you can find this and many, many more great podcasts at www.d20radio.com. Word. Word. Do we, do we have any juicy bits of web goodness this week? We got one. Um, 
Folks, if you're playing in any Star Wars game or you're just one research from Star Wars stuff, you want to go check out Star uh, SWGalaxyMap.com. Um, it is a free interactive map of the current canon and legends galaxy that links to Wikipedia. This thing is amazing. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, of just how Google Maps works. You can scroll around. Anything that's official canon is in orange, and anything that's legends for as far as planets go is in blue. And you can check out sectors, uh, classic trade routes. Uh, it, it is amazing. It, it works actually pretty well. It's super um, awesome. It's absolutely hip. There are some planets in here that aren't really listing as far as like you know certain uh, little notes in there like little plants that haven't been activated yet but anything that's actually a, a larger blue circle or a larger orange circle it's canon you can go and you can check it out they've got like Lowek and uh uh Scylla the the uh the uh, the uh Chiss homeworlds and Ilum, Dantooine, Megiddo, it's its crazy amount of good stuff, so go and check it out, utilize it, bookmark it, you'll be finding yourself needing it and using it um, any campaign you run. Dude, SWGalaxyMap.com, you say? Yep, SWGalaxyMap.com. Go check it out. Do you think the SW stands for Star Wars? Uh, um, I don't think so, um, but I'm uh, not sure what else it, it stands for. So Southwest no. software, South, Southwest, yeah. Southwest, Southwest Galaxy. Galaxy. Got it. Yeah, got that's, it. Got it. That's perfect. Right. Can I just say though that when when I'm writing, they have me do a lot of uh, planet entries for FFG, and the Atlas is always one of my favorite things to look at when I'm sure. doing a research because not only like uh, uh, what's going on with that planet, but I want to see what's nearby. Like who who would their trade partners be that would make sense. And when I saw the the galaxy map that you guys just linked to, uh, I was like, oh, like a whole new world. This because the map is so fast, it's so responsive. Uh, oh yeah. Like I'm going to use that. My atlas is going to be saved. Uh, so much wear and tear on the soft cover spine. Uh, I mean, be- because of this app. You just move your mouse over. It tells you like what sector you're looking right. at, what trade route it is. Yeah. So I could, I could go right to Wikipedia and get my original source list and. I saw it and fell in love right away. Dude. It is really awesome. It's a great sexy. resource. That's a great it, yeah, resource. Yeah, you might call it sexy, too. I do. I do. Maybe that's what the SW stands for. Sexy Wookie. Sexy Wookie. Sexy, sexy Wookie. Sexy Wookie. <laughs> GalaxyMap.com. Uh, <laughs> but, of course, it's out there on the interwebs, and you guys should check it out. And while you're checking things out on the interwebs, head to the aforementioned d20radio.com which continues to be the best gaming blog on the internet that has gone over 13 days without a Kowakian monkey lizard attack, which is a pretty good record for the site. Mm-hmm. Um, and it continues its o- overpouring of amazing fan-generated content from some of the finest gaming minds in the community. Uh, some highlights from this past week. Chris Hunt brought us another jaw-dropping Star Wars stat block in his recurring Holonet Uplink series. The Torrent Attack. It's his take on the Torrent Attack, the KOTOR-era nemesis of a nightmare creature that can terrorize your party tonight. Well, Um, I built a Torrent Attack Rex. (laughs) (laughs) It's got camouflage and, like, yeah. It's really smart and it's, like, part raptor and, like, you know. Part Nexu. Part yeah, it's there. Um... Also, although it was more than a week ago, I really have to point out another article recently released um, in that Holland Uplink series by Chris Hunt because it's too good not to pimp out and read, read, read. 
Uh, the article was called Are We the Baddies? Imperial Games. And it was a brilliant look by Chris at why and how to run an Imperial game using Age of Rebellion. Um, absolutely brilliant work, Chris. And uh, it's probably one of my more favorite articles that's been released that's Star Wars focused on the site in a while. And I, think- I read this and I was like yeah. almost about to call west to say dude we need to rewrite our thing and come at it from the other way it would be a lot of fun except then the pcs would have to lose right the pcs no no what what, why do the pcs have to lose i mean if episode eight the if the leaked title is to be believed the uh first order is gonna win maybe so you know hey but it it sounds way too much like empire strikes back so i think i'm gonna boycott it I don't think that leak. They've already someone's already debunked that 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 leaked title. I've seen two. Which ones are you guys referring to? The uh, fall of the resistance. Fall of the resistance. Yeah, that's the okay. Yeah, I don't know. It's it sounds like a little. It's a little too spe- specific. I like Ooh. Hollywood could put a moratorium on words like fall or rise or rising, like on movie titles. I think that'd be great. Yeah, rise of the machines. Oh jeez, stop! <laughs> stop! But seriously, this is a great article, and go check it out. And also, this week, uh, shameless plug imminent, um, I added a new entry to my ongoing uh, G2P, which is Games to Play segment, um, devoted to exposing you to cool RPGs you've probably never heard of. Uh, with an in-depth... Because re- you, you guys know I've, I've got a real major Jones for obscure indie RPGs. Sure. Um, no. <laughs> And uh, I, I did a pretty in-depth review, uh, warts and all, of Dayfly. Uh, really interesting RPG. The game with one stat where the PCs live for only one single day. Um, huh. So it's, uh, it's an interesting read. Uh, so go check that out, as well as the other GDPs if you're interested. Are they a bug? No, they're, they're clones or uh, uh, magically summoned uh, mythical warriors in a fantasy setting or... Um, you, uh, just you know, there, there, there's all kinds of you can, you can do it all kinds of different settings, but yeah, they're people. It's oh. it's interesting. It's interesting. Re- go go and read. Go and read. Okay, we'll read it. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys can find these articles and so much more daily over at www.d20radio.com. And while you're there, of course, you can find links on the right-hand side of the page to head to our forums and become part of our forum community, or you can just go to d20radio.com slash forums. You can also click on a big uh, banner link on the right-hand side of the page for our Patreon, or you can just head to patreon.com slash d20radio, where if you like the work the D20 Radio Network is doing and the D20 Radio blog is producing, you can contribute as little as just a few bucks a month to really help keep the servers humming and, most importantly, continue to keep our blog authors paid for the work they do. And, of course, the social media plug. Stay in the know by following D20 Radio on the Facebooks for news and podcast info on a daily basis. You can also follow us on Twitter at D20 Radio. We post and tweet show info and announcements regularly. Well, guys, I think it's time to stop down right about now for a Star Wars Adventure of the Week, wouldn't you say? I believe so. Let's check in with SWRPG Adventures and the most informative 140 characters or less on the Internet. Kind of right. Welcome to Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures on Twitter this week. 
An Imperial captain with secret gambling debts approaches the PCs to help facilitate capturing his own Star Destroyer and selling it to Black Sun. This has been Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures. For more adventure ideas in 140 characters or less, be sure to follow SWRPG Adventures on Twitter. And remember, keep adventuring! Hey, we forgot something. What did we forget? We have two books that we have to give away. Oh, I was going to talk about that towards the end of the show, but we can't. Oh, okay, we can do that. And then Savage Spirits shipped. Did we talk about that? We didn't talk about that yet, but eh, Savage Spirits shipped. It's there, there you go. It's there. But yeah, towards the end of the show, guys, hang around. We actually have some contests we're going to be announcing. So it's very, very exciting stuff. All right, well, while we have Mr. Kappel here, would you guys like to go ahead and just dive right into the meat of this here show? Let us. Let us leave. So what are we uh what are we calling tonight's meat of the show? Are you experienced? In in what in what am I experienced? Am I experienced in what? Oh, are you not entertained? I I, I mm, depends. <laughs> um, tonight, uh, the Order sixty six podcast returns to another installment of our meat of the show segment, the Senate Halls, uh, devoted to what happens behind the curtain or behind the GM screen. Our meat of the show segment, designed for the GMs out there. Now, this series focuses on GM tips and tricks. The business of actually running a game and making your games more memorable. But tonight's show isn't just for the GMs. Every good player really should get some valuable insight tonight. Because for many gamers in the system, things have finally reached... What would you call it, guys? A tipping point, yeah? They've reached an apex. For a lot of gamers. I mean, the thing is, it's been nearly four years since the launch of FFG's Star Wars system. And y'all have to realize that... Three years is actually a watermark of maturity for the majority of RPGs in existence. Um, four years is a long time in this industry for any game. And, and after the release of three core rule books, dozens of supplements, and dozens more to come, this game, this system, is, is reaching a, a level of play uh, group and, and campaign maturity that not many RPGs do. Groups are actually asking questions like, how do I handle high XP play? Um, questions of the game scaling well at higher levels were answered resoundingly by FFG early on, but it's really only now that most gamers are actually putting those answers to task in their own home games, with some fans and listeners of this very show continuing or putting the wrap on three-year campaigns. Um, Additionally, the the wealth of material out there is, as is often the case, driving players to want to start at a higher level in order to more quickly create heroes that utilize all the coolness that's out there. As such, some of our strongest show requests on both the forums and the social media groups have been high XP play. How does the game function at high level play? What changes or concerns should a GM or group have? And at these higher levels, what can the GM do to make their games continually engaging, meaningful, and fun? We will attempt to answer these questions tonight. So stretch your backs, Gamer Nation. Ah, your ever-growing FFG bookshelf with pride. And tally up that XP as we level up to high XP play tonight on your Order 66 podcast. 
<sighs> so interesting topic selection too. We, uh, I mean, because I believe it was Huli that got this uh, selected for us, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He put up that huge poll of possible t- uh, subject topics, and uh, this one got an overwhelming amount of votes. Dude, I think it like beat out the next one by at least like twenty five percent. And so here we are. Um, mm-hmm. One more reason to be a part of our Facebook group. <laughs> that is true. That is true. We we got a lot of uh, stuff going on over there as far as like what you folks want us to talk about next. Um, so if you're not a member of the D20 Radio group over on Facebook, you might want to go check it out. If you're not on Facebook, God bless you. But <laughs> mm. Well, we invited Keith on the show tonight. We're really proud to welcome you back, Keith, um, to help us tackle this topic as a uh, continual and at this point rather experienced freelancer who's written for numerous FFG Star Wars products. You are also the crazy bitch who wrote and ran a 2000 XP module, like characters that had 2000 XP this past spring at Gamer Nation Con 3. Yes, um, I am. I am that crazy person. You are that insane person. And dude, like as far as your work recently, I mean, I know I know you just we we had you on for our Nexus Power just came out not too long ago. Right. Um but didn't didn't you they just announced Forged in Battle, the soldier book. Um I was on that. Yes. Were you on that? Fantastic. I wrote the, I did a lot of like equipment fiddly bits for soldiers. Cool. Fiddly bits. It was it was the first time I believe I've written fiddly bits. I uh, uh, had a good time. I had a good time trying. I call it the Jason Marker chapter. <laughs> uh, I get to to do some chapter two stuff. It's very rare, so uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. I think uh, I think Max ran that book, so I appreciated the opportunity to stretch my legs and and do crunchy fiddly bits. Nice. Max, Max, Ma- Max. Um. Very cool. Well, dude, uh, thank you for coming back on the show, and we're really eager to get your your experience take on on high XP play. So thank sure. you. Um, I could I could summarize what it is that I did really quick for those that don't know. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, so I think I forget who brought it up, but it's kind of been the longstanding what few complaints I hear about the FFG system outside of the funky dice. Which, like, if you're still on the funky dice argument, I, I don't have much for you. But the the one uh, constant thing I hear is that theoretically people hypothetically presume that the game is 100% going to break down uh, at higher levels of XP. And uh, as a freelancer, I tend to, um, I don't I don't necessarily have as much campaign time as a lot of people do. So a lot of the gaming I do is it's in one shots and it's in play tests and stuff like that right. for FFG Star Wars. So I, w- I wanted to know just as a guy working on the game, was that assumption true or not? So uh, um, I decided to take it to the nth degree and see, uh, I mean, I figure if at 2,000 XP, if it's not broken then, then it's just not, it's not going to break. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Because that's so over the top. When people talk high XP, they don't even, it's not a number that usually even comes up. So I built the Jedi Council as PCs and then tried to build a, uh, 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 an adventure to challenge them appropriately. And that was a hell of an experience, which I'm sure will was it not a seventy-eight page adventure? It was. It was a. It was basically an adventure module that I wrote, meaning to only write a convention module. Dude, it was a campaign. <laughs> it, it <laughs> right. Was, I mean, it, the the word count was probably pretty close to like an onslaught of Arda or Julie Avon or something like that. It's probably <laughs> the word count's probably pretty close. In fact, I have the thing open. 
Uh, yeah, so I didn't even finish it either, if you guys remember. I still had some blank spots. So it's a 27,000-word adventure, <laughs> which is yeah. uh, it's longer than a GM kit module for sure. But there's still probably like 5,000 words I want to throw in there. <laughs> And then one of your lucky uh, convention attendees got to walk home with it. That's right, at the auction it's on Sunday. Uh-huh. That's right. Yeah, it went for some pretty high ex- pretty high XP, which is our, our our monetary unit for the con, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I was proud of that. I yeah, very very cool. So and, and the the character sheets were like what seven pages each? Yeah, and that was silly. Like that was not the plan. To I, we used the wonderful uh, Ogdude sheets, which are great. Yeah, but. Um, I, I, what I was really hoping to do was get my buddy Ryan Brooks, fellow LOF chief freelancer, to uh, set them up so they looked more like uh, the folio pages from yeah, uh, yeah. the beginner boxes so that things could have been – if the whole thing had one weakness, it's that I had players picking up new PCs that they hadn't played before that were very complex and had a lot of different talents and uh, force powers and what have you. And they had to just flip through so many pages and because Ogdude – doesn't want to get a cease and desist. His pages don't list what the actual power does in there. Right. So there's a lot of flipping back and forth. If, if there was one weakness, it was that, which is has nothing to do with uh, the XP balance issue. But understood. Understood. Yeah. But yeah, the the character pages. Some of them. Yeah, I think Yoda's was a solid 17 pages long. <laughs> Just because the way the Ogdude sheets print. But yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was intense. It was an intense, intense to write and intense to run. Well, let's take that experience and kind of kick off into it. I mean, Phil, where should where I mean, where should we start this discussion, man? Well, let's start off with this, uh, discussing what really is high level play. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of point, starting points where we could go, and as a matter of fact, that starting point is one of the first things that we need to bring up. Um, and really, it boils down to what point can you say that hey, these guys are experienced? I mean, and and are we talking like Lando Calrissian experienced? Or are we talking Luke Skywalker at the end of Return of the Jedi experienced? Or in some <laughs> cases, um, Han Solo during The Force Awakens experienced? But let's, let's start with where an accelerated starting point could be. Simply, night level. You hear a lot of talk about night level play. It's that thing that was introduced in Force and Destiny that's not really high XP play as much as it is um, a leg up on your normal starting point. This is where you start with an extra 150 experience points and either a lightsaber if you're from Force and Destiny or an extra 9,000 credits. Characters will have a lot of tricks and talents with this accelerated boost. Uh, Maybe they'll have another rank of dedication, but more likely a well-rounded base in one or two trees, Force powers included. Uh, if you are playing a Force-using character, highly likely you have spent a large chunk of that XP to push yourself to get that Force rating too. Uh, and this is basically a Jedi Knight level of experience and place in the Star Wars story. There's a lot of back and forth, like, oh no, Force rating 2 is in Jedi Knights. Ball. 150 XP is a nice starting point for a freshly minted Jedi Knight. And I think that's a good place for the, for the game to start. It's a, it's a solid starting point. But that's 150 started XP, and, and honestly, if you're in a good gaming group and you're playing regularly, you can probably hit that in about, would you say, like four to six sessions? Well, here's the deal, and you got to think, we've, we talked about this before, but if you're, you know, the book recommends like 10 XP per session, right? But that's assuming you're playing for a couple hours each session, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I run. I, you know, I, I run roughly fifteen to twenty XP per session that I run, right? But yep. I run I run longer sessions, True. so even getting to something like like three hundred XP, that's fifteen to twenty sessions at that point, right? Which for me is typically a campaign, but I, I guess that's another discussion to have. Yeah, I, I will say, good. like, I don't think a lot of people talk about this, but if you're planning a campaign with PCs, it's not a terrible idea to to curate and and design what you want the starting XP situation to be and know in, before you even play the first session what you want the XP to look like at the end. So you could kind of control uh, uh, what that pool of XP is going to look like throughout an entire campaign. And I, I've never heard anybody really talk about doing that. But I also I feel like the FFG recommended XP, uh, for my personal taste, I think they give too much away. But I think they assume you're only going to play for in a monthly game for 12 or 15 sessions and then... You'll create new characters because there's so much other stuff to do, or yeah. you'll you'll find a you know a new game or whatever. I, I don't think they're expecting people to to play for three years in a weekly game or something like that. So I, I think that's that's just one element. So uh, remind everybody what that X what the XP recommendation is from FFG, because I, I mean, think we've got GMs that are giving away a heck of a lot more XP than they should. Well, the the book says like roughly ten XP a session. But th- that's, and then RP bonus and a couple other things on top of that. Yeah, but that's assuming you're playing for a, a few, a couple hours at a time. I think. Right. Uh, of course, we a lot of us go back to what Jay Little suggested on these very on, the, on this very show, where he gives about an average of five XP an hour of solid gaming. Yeah. Figuring that you're going to spend about twenty twenty five percent of the time just bullshitting. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so. That means that your average uh, your average six hour session you'll get about twenty maybe twenty five XP. If your four hour session, you probably get about fifteen. Yeah. Um. So, it's there. Now, night level is that way to like kick you off and really start things. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, at, at that at that higher level. But at what point, guys, do we say that a, a group is is experienced? I mean, I, I told you that I I cap. My, I mean, my intention is to cap my campaigns typically after, you know, 15 to 20 sessions. And, you know, that equates to me roughly to 300, 400 XP. Um, is that experienced? Is that even powerful when you consider a 2000 XP to make a member of the Jedi Council? Yoda was pretty <laughs> powerful. I'll say that. But I also say uh, um, Kit Fisto, who was probably like 1800 XP, um, he died or almost died. Every every time I ran it, I ran it like three or four times. I think he survived once, and it wasn't by a lot. It was like close. It's not like I picked on Kit Fisto, but um, it, they're still very vulnerable even at two thousand XP. Wow. And and we'll get into a lot of sure. why that is. There, I mean, there there's a reason, and we'll, we'll go over that shortly. Um, but I think three hundred XP is. You're now definitely talking experienced play. Um, for 300 XP, you can buy an entire spec tree. Hmm. Have every single talent in that tree. Um, this is sort of the Lando Calrissian level of XP. Uh, you're set being a supporting actor in the Star Wars saga. You're likely not taking on Darth Vader and the Emperor, but you're definitely a hero doing heroic things that affect the galaxy meaningfully. Uh, and as Chris, you said, this is where a lot of campaigns end. Um, most players rarely get beyond this point, and and that's that's a, that's because that's a, you know even at our 
at our you know sort of recommended gaming distance, that's uh, five XP an hour. That's sixty hours of game. That's a lot of game. It's a lot of game. Yeah, I remember that's, I was talking to Sam Stewart about. He was like something like ridiculous, like ninety or ninety-five percent of the games that he's aware of don't go past three hundred or four hundred XP. Makes sense. It's it's just a very rare error when you get to these just the dedicated gamer groups, right? Of which I would bet half of our dedicated listeners go over three hundred. But in the general population, the vast majority of games are one shots. Yeah, sure. Yeah, or a couple shots. Yeah, like adventure books. Yeah, stuff it, that length. Yeah, one module, maybe two modules, and then they're yeah. doing something yeah. else, new characters, something. Well, and there's a difference also in in play style between groups. I think because like uh, I, I, I hate uh, I hate to draw the comparison, but when I look at like Star Wars play versus D and D play, mm. most Star Wars groups that I know, and I know how I know how I choose to do it, I plan campaigns out like a trilogy of movies. You sure. know what I mean? And and there, there's a definitive endpoint where I expect the credits to roll, and we kind of leave to that point, and then we're we're done. D and D, if if that's more the the model you're going to, it's almost the there the serenity model. It's like we're you know every session we're just chugging along with a new little adventure and a little threat. You know what I mean? And players come and players go, and we just keep right. the game going. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you can go. You can go infinite rounds and rounds and rounds with that thing with that model you you can you can i tend to see that a lot less in star wars play but you know with with game groups like that especially you know i mean and you guys know our fan base for this show is pretty freaking dedicated star wars players and a lot of these guys are playing every week and you know if you've got a three-year game where you're playing weekly you could be well into the thousand xp range at this point um yeah yeah, you could easily be fifteen hundred to two thousand. I mean, I mean that's just just handing out ten to fifteen a, a session. A session. I mean, without without a doubt. Um. So okay, if three hundred XP is where you get to that supporting actor role, I think maybe the next good meaningful level of of experience, like where you can say, okay, I'm a badass, is probably double that at about six hundred. Yeah, at that you're really talking Luke Skywalker territory. Uh, there's probably a few thousand people in the whole galaxy at, at that sort of level. And mechanically, this is also where you can start to run in a lot of potential problems. Well, here, you know, you can from a mechanical standpoint, except for Force, I think Force and Destiny, you can go absolutely batshit crazy with Force powers. Yeah. That's true. That's true. There's a lot more XP sinks in Force and Destiny. But you know, and that's that's where you know, I, Keith, you know, your 2000. I don't know that you can play a 2000 XP game with anybody but Jedi's. Right. Well, that's certainly. I agree. Um, I think if you went into Age or Edge with 2000 XP, you're talking about like <laughs> buying up what, like four or five entire trees with signature ability you know what i mean like you're you've maxed out skills because you can you've bought into trees just because you need to spend xp your strain and wound threshold are actually going to start climbing because why not just start buying out uh uh, grit and uh uh toughness or whatever you know what i mean you're spending 50 and 60 xp just to hop into a tree so you can pick up some cheap grit and toughness every now and then right 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 I, I think it's it's a totally different game when you're talking about um, um, epic level XP between Agent Edge on one side and FMD on the other. Just because there's so many other places, important places to spend XP where you don't 
you don't feel like, I mean, I could tell you, my original Yoda build was about 1,000 XP, and I looked at him, I said, Yoda doesn't feel like Yoda yet. I, I'm going to keep spending XP until he does. That's and, a fucking benchmark. And it, and, it, and it ended up being, it was like, honestly, it was 2150 or 2180, somewhere like there. That's when Yoda felt like Yoda to me, and I was I was good. But at 600 XP, you <laughs> either have characters that are so widespread, they can do a lot of things, just not exceptionally well. Or they're so hyper-focused that they're in a few areas that they've, you know, they've got rank 4 and related skills, characteristics of 5 and, or higher in those areas, and multiple talents that affect those actions. Um, I've got a PC who's not quite to 600 yet. She, she's at her, like, I think it's like 4, 450 around. Uh, a technician with mechanics at 4, intellect at 6, and two trees worth of mechanic-based talents. Um, and in that area, she's an absolute badass. Um, and if you don't vary your game and playstyle, this mix will kill the fun for the game. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of hyper-focused, no challenge is a challenge anymore. You, that, this is, when you get reached this range, this is when you really need to start messing with the status quo and putting your characters in and putting your PCs in areas that are outside of their comfort zone. Yeah, and, and so there was I think Geiger Streak in the in the chat was talking about how he's got one character with 360 XP that's rolling seven seven yellow and two green. And I wonder how the hell did you let that happen? <laughs> you know, I mean it it's possible, right? But I mean and then somebody else chimed in with, you know, I, you know, I'm whoever, they've got some special uh, rules about cross-specking that they have to do before they can get that high that quick. And, and you just wonder if that is, you know, is that a potential for a good game to go bad? Because what, what challenge is there at that point? It, you're, you're, even, even the most serious of nemeses are going to be simply a nail to get driven into the 2 by 4 it's really going to depend on your group. Um, one of my another long shot groups right now, their their XP range is between three thirty five and four eighty five. Um, and the four hundred eighty five point character is rather spread out. Really? He's not hyper focused. He's built this bounty hunter spy type Mandalorian who's trying to f- uncover the mystery of, and the, in, this is in the um, this is in l- the legacy era of Star Wars, who killed the Mandalore. So he's he's out there. So he's he's doing a lot of undercover stuff. He's doing a lot of bounty hunting stuff to keep up his 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 cover while he's trying to figure this out. Uh, and he's rather well spread out. He's one of these nice, well rounded characters that can do a lot pretty well. Uh, and then at 4.30, as I said, you've got my hyper-focused technician who just, you know, any sort of technician situation, or, and, and even computers, because she's got the massive intellect for it, um, she's able to just do obscenely well in that regard as well. A lot of my characters at this range have sort of spread the love around. They've, they've really haven't been incredibly hyper-focused in one specific area, with the exception of that mechanic, as I was saying. And because of that, I'm able to throw a variety of, of uh, scenarios out of them, a, a variety of challenges, and it is still a challenge. Well, there's Phil, a Phil, I ought to almost say you're putting the cart before the horse there, though. I think it's because I, I know from experience you're a good GM, and you've probably been throwing varied challenges at them from day one, and they know as players, if I specialize, the next time Phil makes us all have to climb up a wall, I'm going to be stuck at the bottom holding the whole party back. So I, I think as a GM, you can avoid some of these problems. 
uh, on, on hyper-specialization? Because, I mean, you don't want everybody to be the jack-of-all-trades. You want them to specialize. True. But you, you want them to, to find a balance between uh, uh, specializing and having a broad base of, of abilities. So I, I think as a GM, it's, it's uh, beholden upon you to, to make sure that the players have that expectation from day one uh, and, and uh, are diversifying at least a little bit. Now, I, I think I want to echo that, and I also I also think that the system is a little self-regulating in that sense, because, and as we get to, um, in a bit, guys, we are going to actually go through some actual concrete mechanical tips and tricks we can give you to really regulate high-level play, mm. but, but it's one of those things that if you have a group that is generally spread out like that, you're not going to have those hyper-specialization issues where you can see some game breakage if you're not careful. But if you do have hyper-specialization, then you have a ready-made way to regulate that team because you have an instant dump stat to punch them in, more or less. Um, so that's that's kind of where it comes in, yeah. And so so really is, that, any- is that kind of what you would recommend for this, you know, uh, again, pointing back to Geiger Streak, you know, the, he's saying he only had the problem when he had the one min-maxed ranged heavy Basically, you throw a bunch of melee stuff at him, and you make him, and you make him get better at his dump stat, or social encounters, or uh, technical encounters, or skill montages, or I mean, space combat. Space Just make him climb a really high wall and and upgrade the check a bunch of times because he wants to carry his really 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 big gun. <laughs> <laughs> and see what happens. And see what happens. Because I bet you a despair comes up and he drops that big gun. It don't work. Falling out. damage. Well, okay. I, one of the things we're going to talk about is one of the more fun things about high level play is the fact that triumphs and despairs become so much more common. But uh, so we're 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 definitely definitely going to talk about that. Um. So okay, th- th- we have we have our our, our Lando Calrissian level of like three hundred XP ish. All right, you're experienced. We have our six hundred XP level where you're 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 a mover and a shaker. You're a face in the galaxy. Luke Skywalker, end of episode three or episode episode six, excuse me. Um, you know you're you're going. What about those rare people that are really up there? I mean, when you get to like there there are, I mean there are people in chat right now saying I've got you know like thousand XP earned. So that's, to me, that's I, I threw this in. To me, that's like a Count Dooku level guy. Yeah, there you go. You know, I mean, just a really strong Jedi guy. He's got lots of Force powers, and you know, he goes toe to toe with Yoda and says, "It's obvious we can't settle this in our knowledge of the Force." And I think over time, Yoda would beat the crap out of him, but he's still very strong, right? You know, but here it is. Here, here's here's where the system helps you, right? You're still not capable of inflicting massive damage. You're just going to hit all the damn time because right. you're rolling nine dice. We don't even have to necessarily be rolling nine dice. I mean, that some of that is going to come into play with the fact that it, you know dice will cap out at six unless you start going into cybernetics. Um, but yeah, most of those dice are going to start being all yellows. You well, know? no, they—that's the thing, though. And then talking about that cap, um, I mean, yeah, obviously you 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 can have a max a max of six raw uh, ability dice, right? And then mm-hmm. potentially five of those proficiency. But at the instant you throw in a couple like a rank of true aim. Yeah, others. Two ranks of two aims. Flip a force point. And flip a force point. You could have cybernetics. You've got upgrades at that point, right? Even even without cybernetics, up. You know, you upgrade a five yellow, one green, twice, and all of a sudden you have six Six yellow yellow. and one green. So there's seven dice, and you could. I mean, you can. You and there's 
there's and you know as we'll, we'll talk about there's some potential house rules you guys can implement before you get to this point um right. to help limit that but but it's it's rare but possible but i mean dude dave like so you say for for a thousand xp like I, I like your count dooku example actually because count dooku is a guy like i could see a 300 xp party of six or a handful of 600 xp characters taking him on as a solo threat you know what i mean as a, well okay so i mean so look at the encounter in the cave right look at look at anakin a padawan at the time and 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 obi-wan right and both of them got owned this yeah. is true this this is absolutely true um so <clears throat> And one of the, one of the deeper things, I mean, so we have, we have this thousand XP, and then we have we have what I mean, Keith. Obviously, your module was at two thousand XP okay. on average. That each PC was different because I was trying to build them to to feel relative to each other, and just on the the focuses that come from like the EU and the canon that everybody knows. So I, I think the lowest XP one was uh, Luminara Unduli because she was just like a master; she wasn't really on the council. Okay. So she was hanging out at like 1,600 XP, and that went all the way up to Yoda, who was at like 2,200 almost. Um, but most of them were right around 1,900 to 2,000. And that's because Yoda's Yoda. I mean, seriously. Right. Well, he had to have an edge, right? Mm. He had to have force rating 5 or whatever. Yeah, because when 900 years old you reach, badass you will be. When 2,000 XP you reach, yeah. Beer checks. Oh, yeah, we're yeah, absolutely, and we can well we we can talk about that here in a bit. Um, but there's lots of little things you can do to 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 assist. But okay, at this two thousand XP level, at two thousand level, you're like, I mean, what? There's a handful of people in the galaxy at that level, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'd put you know Sidious and uh, uh, Yoda, Yoda and Mace Windu, uh, and then and then you start running out of people. Maz Kanata, perhaps. Uh, from episode Mine. seven, yeah, yeah, uh, may- maybe Snoke. She's just you know, bought everything. <laughs> like, she's not high level in anything. She's just bought everything. <laughs> so then, what do you do about the groups that are rapidly approaching the plane for three years that are coming up on two thousand XP? I mean, at some point as a GM, do you have to cut it off and say, "Look, this just isn't realistic for the galaxy at large"? I mean, I, I think some of that depends on the area you're playing in, because there's nothing saying your group can't be the equivalent of the Jedi Council at that time. Um, so if you're playing in the Rebellion era, the, the FFG advertised era, yeah, I think it starts starts pushing uh, a little bit of the... Uh, you're really stealing Luke Skywalker's spotlight, you know what I mean? But, uh, I mean, that depends. That depends on the, 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 the contract you have with your gamer group as the GM. If you guys know, it's like we don't... We're not worried about impacting canon, and you know what? If you guys end up blowing up both Death Stars instead, so be it. Like, if that's the player contract you have, then awesome. I say go for it. But if not, and that's going to start bothering the guys at your table or you as the GM, then, like, I would advertise starting in a different era to begin with anyway. Yeah. But there's a reason that we don't have, with, with the exception of a few adventure modules here and there, named NPCs statted out in this system. Right. And, and if, if it has stats, it could die, right? Precisely. And we, you want to give the GM the flexibility to be able to say, no, uh, you know, Luke Skywalker has 4,000 XP, okay? And you guys are sitting at 2,000. Or, yeah, you know, if need, if need be. 
um, and you you want to do that. And it's it's not in the notes, guys. And we can kind of I mean we hadn't really talked about uh, I mean I, I hadn't really thought about this until the discussion kind of went there. And I guess this is kind of the point. But also realize that you don't listen. FFG's recommended setting, okay, of 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 the Rebellion era. All right, you know, d- dark times and and Rebellion era of the of the original trilogy. That that setting is there to help introduce new players to the system and really give us a familiar ground to play in. You better believe if my group has a thousand earned XP under their belt or 2000 XP, they should be so familiar with the game at that point. So familiar with everything that I should feel free to go completely off the rails and do something absolutely crazy with them. Maybe, maybe they find an artifact that sends them outside the galaxy. I mean, Mm -hmm. Maybe, and God help me for even suggesting this, maybe they encounter the Yuzen Vong, right? <laughs> you know, maybe maybe it's a whole new mission where, oh, these people are incredibly high XP. Oh, yeah, and they're immune to damn near every force power you got. Um, so that really doesn't affect things that much. And I mean, I mean... You know, maybe maybe they go... Isn't, and if you get into some of the crazier legend stuff, there's like, there's like, you know, there's real space and hyperspace, and there's also like a null space, like in between, where this crazy furry spider race lives that's really evil. I mean, you, you can you can send them to some really weird places and have them do some very strange things. Um, the- Perhaps they could run into John Delancey and, hello, my name is Q. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Um, okay, Dan, uh, Dan Dan the Ewok in chat is saying, a Stargate, you laugh, but what was it, one of the original West End Games modules? Um where there was a there was an uh like an, an ancient artifact they found that was basically a stargate uh, uh like the qua i think yeah i mean i mean it, the, the precedent is there i mean lord they used like pyramids too i think there was like one on dathomir and they came mm-hmm. from like the old lando books or something yeah i mean i mean there's there's some there's some wild stuff that's that's been out there i mean and you've got you've got you know the architects and centerpoint station and you know, you know the ricotta. You've got you've got all kinds of really wild and crazy high level stuff to just totally mess with your players with when you decide that the empire and palps are no longer a reasonable threat for them. Yeah, and you could also just time jump too. If your party gets to like yep. six hundred XP in the rebellion era, and you're like, okay, I feel like not completely throwing cannon away. You could just be like, between adventures, ten years passes. We got to get the band back together now as our first adventure. You know, or whatever it may be, you we're you can you can the, move ahead. We're and, getting and the, get I, heck, the I, I wouldn't have a problem pushing them forward hundreds of years all of a sudden to where uh, technology is. You know, yeah. what they're familiar with is just obsolete. Sure, dude. Yeah, it could be a hyperspace mishap. Could be an ancient technology. But um, yeah, I love that we're getting the band back together. <laughs> we got a half a tank of gas, a full pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. <laughs> Hit it. Hit it. Um. Or do what do what Chris does or has done in the past, and all of a sudden you enter an area of the galaxy, and force is just flat diminished, and then see what happens. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's don't keep them there because that'll piss them all off. But yeah. you know, have them deal with it. Have I will say uh, one of the things I used when I wrote the module was uh, uh, to deal with the high XP is every. Every encounter that took place, uh, the combat encounters specifically, was in a strange environment that had uh, pretty grave mechanical impacts that just changed things. There was a, an underwater fight 
there was a um, a water based chase. I was Ando is like the first act. Uh, they go to like a a Hoth like snow planet of Ando Prime, and they're dealing with all kinds of environmental effects there. So even if their skill checks would normally be pretty good, I can upgrade those checks, or most of them had like three setback to every single check, just because just for the environmental effects. Never mind like the situational effects of who's doing what. Totally. So, okay, these are some good ideas. And we've talked about where you're going to see levels of high XP in your game. Let's say you've got groups that are, you know, and the GM is, okay, we're, we're going to proceed. We're going to, we're going to move forward with this. We're going to continue to play at these very high XP levels. What changes, and, and, and really, I want to get into some advice and some ideas out there for the GMs and players in terms of how they need to change their mentality and also changes they need, may need, want to take into account mechanically to really prevent some of the problems that some folks have been having with higher XP play. Because quite frankly, I just don't think they're doing the things they need to do <laughs> to, to, to make it viable, um, both from a role-playing standpoint and a mechanics standpoint. Um, so let, let's talk about the role-play at, at a very high level. I think at, at high-level XP... Your, both your players and your GM really kind of need to shift their mentality in, in terms of their expectations for the system. And, and this may go back to the social contract that you'd mentioned earlier, Keith, but what are, what are our, key, our key things to talk about here when we talk about really changes in mentality? Uh, well, the first is that the system is different from the majority of RPGs out there when players advance their abilities. Okay. Uh, understand the difference in high-level play in this system. You don't necessarily need to scale up powerful threats just because your PCs have had a year of gaming under their belts and a year's worth of XP. Boy, Phil, you mean, you mean I don't have to have a CL20 BBEG man with like 16 guards? No. No, you don't. What, why not, man? Because a mook with a pistol can still kill you. Ask <laughs> oh. Fisto, man. It's nasty out there. With the exception of very hyper-focused builds, the PC's ability to take damage is not going to be dramatically increased as they rise in experience. So a Viber Dagger behind the arrow is still going to fuck you up. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right, I got it. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you, uh, you look at any skill tree out there, and, and you know, you, usually pairings of one or two uh, spec trees, maybe your wound threshold goes up by two to six. Maybe your strain threshold goes up one to three points. That is not a significant improvement. Like I said, no. hyper-focused builds are different. You get some guy out there who's specifically hunting for wound threshold because they want the, 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 uh, the wound threshold of like you know mid to high 20s. That's going to happen. But they, they have to specifically focus their character on that. Yeah. Additionally, the PC's ability to inflict damage isn't going to be dramatically increased either. Aside from simply being able to afford better weaponry, the occasional damage increased talent, or most commonly, more generated successes due to increased skill ranks in a combat skill. Most PCs, even at higher XP levels, will see roughly 3 to 5 average points of damage increase over their lengthy careers. It's not a lot. That might not, that might not sound right to you guys, but you have to realize that high XP foes are going to balance out your increased ranks because yeah. you're going to have more difficulty upgrades to cancel out those positive dice. And that really leads into one of the mechanical things that you damn well better be doing at this level of play. And that is? Adversary, my adversary. Um, adversary, adversary, adversary. A God, single, I love that talent. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's beauty. 
It's a single, simple talent, and it goes a long, long way to balancing anything out at higher levels. Um, adversary, use it. Use it properly. Um, my rule of thumb, I mean, like, by earned party XP of 200+, plus, every single rival you face damn well better have it, um, and your nemesis should always have at least two ranks of it. At least. At least. At th- yeah. at 300 plus earned XP, you can add plus one of those numbers. I mean, every rival should be adversary two. Every nemesis should be adversary three or more. And when you get into those super high uh, XP play, you should be looking at, when you're facing off a really, against a really tough foe, I mean, they should be looking at adversary four, adversary five in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, uh, just for the record, I yeah. had Dooku at, I think it was... Oh, wait, here it is. Uh, Adversary 4 for Dooku. I don't think anybody put him down. Uh, Anybody. And that's including 2200 XP Yoda. Uh, Adversary 4 is a lot to handle. It's a lot to deal with. And that adds some serious chance for despair in there. And that's... That's, Well, then that's that's at least two red dice, right? I mean... Right. At least... Uh, And the the other thing that I think is critical that uh, goes right along with Adversary, if you're big bad evil guy has a lightsaber is you need to pump ranks into deflect and parry. You just have to. Cause, uh, as well. Yeah. Right. Cause all it takes is a hit. And in this game, uh, uh, you get hit two, three times with a lightsaber. It's over even no matter what you do. And unless you have high ranks of, uh, parry and reflect to mitigate that damage. It's like your soak against lightsabers. So yeah, you gotta have them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I remember playing in the, uh, Gen Con module that Sam Stewart ran last year, and that was parry, deflect, adversary. That's how his BBEG stayed up as long as they did. And parry much more important than uh, than reflect, because reflect. Remember, you still the soak still comes into play. With, yeah. With uh, lightsaber, it just does not. So you need the parry to be to be higher for your bad, big bad evil guy. Otherwise, you may put a lot of time into stats, and they they chop them down in, in two hits. Um, you know, and the, the other thing, too, is you talk about scaling up your threats as well with adversary. I mean, if they're lightsaber wielding, yeah, ranks and parry, some ranks and reflect, but also really, I mean, your NPCs don't have to be built in a logical PC fashion. I mean, I understand nemesis's, nemeses, nemes, nemesi, <laughs> fun, <laughs> function uh, as PCs, but if you if you look at the examples in the books and what the devs have made clear, you, you really are supposed to go with what makes sense. And I have built, you know, uh, you know, uh, NPC force users that have, you know, force rating four or three. And, you know, regardless of how much XP it would take, throw them right into, you know, harm and heal or, um, oh God, I'm blanking on the name, the force lightning power. Uh, oh, unleash. 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 Thank you. Unleash. Um, you know, protect, protect, unleash. Okay. Th- throw them right into that. Um, the 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 ability the uh, it's one of the one of the upgrades um, to enhance that lets you basically force leap, okay? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it got to the point that, and this was not even super high level. This was an NPC that uh, I, you know, <laughs> this was an NPC that was designed for a group of knight level characters. All right. She had force rating three, and just because she had that one appropriate control upgrade to enhance, she could as a maneuver literally leap two range bands, okay, sure. as a maneuver, just jumping around the battlefield like it ain't nothing, um, using protect, unleash, bind, 
Oh my God, bind. Mm. Um, you can, you know, at, at this level of play, you should be facing adversaries if at with force using abilities that have that level of capability. I mean, assuming it's a force level game. So, and, and uh, just to, to echo a point you just said there, uh, building NPCs in in this game, uh, as a guy who's built a few for the books, we don't we don't look at we're not directed to look at like oh I need to make sure I get a that grit talent before I buy this talent. You just you no. just go through the book and pick whatever you want. There's no rules yeah. for building the NPCs. You don't take the time to build them like PCs, which as a guy who back in the fandom comics days built hundreds of uh, uh, revised core rulebook and saga edition NPCs for the Clone Wars fan source book, mm-hmm. yeah. like what a relief. I could build an NPC in under five minutes, even something complicated like Dooku. It's just a matter of flipping through the book and picking whatever the hell I want. Yeah. Well, let's look at that. Let's look at what happens next when you challenge your PCs from a mechanical standpoint. Okay. So, GMs out there, when you're designing your games and you're talking about these high-level plays, you've got to look at your PCs and you've got to determine what they're good at and give them opportunities to leverage those abilities. Let's face it. You're playing this high-level game partially because these folks are still having a great time playing these characters. Make those XP acquisitions and make those increases worthwhile. Likewise, hit them in the dump stat. Challenge (laughs) their weaknesses. Oh, right in the dump stat. Look at what they're bad at and set up scenarios that not exactly force them, but require them to to go out of their out of their box, out of their out of their toolbox, and 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 take on challenges that that affect their lower stats and their lower skills. Now, physical challenges are great for those mechanic, you know, intellect inclined characters. Totally, the social challenges are fantastic for the melee meat walls, right? Right. Um, you know, I mean, and, and there's there's creative ways you can do this without necessarily getting making it feel like you're picking on the player. So let me let me give you guys some examples, okay? Cool. Um, so you 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 give me a great one right there, Phil, which is you have you have the the tech focused character, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I think this system handles really well that, quite frankly, I don't think any other Star Wars system has ever been able to pull off, maybe WEG, is you can split the party easily, effectively, and without any real impact to the game or difficulty of tracking things. Okay? Right. Split the party. Split the party, split the party, split the party. Give them a big job that requires them to be in different locations in the same area. So, mm-hmm. well, maybe a small group of the party is, is trying to take out some guys and infiltrate a facility. Your technician has to go to a random power depot and slice into the main computer terminal to take down some defenses, and that's the only access point. Well, when he gets there, he's got this massive shaft he's got to shimmy up. Or he's got a, the, the node access point is at the top of a, of a radio control tower, and he's got to climb up there in heavy winds and rain. And it becomes a really fun and cinematic scene, and you're really challenging him, but it doesn't feel like you're picking on him. Okay? Right. You've got your melee meat wall. All he's good at is just destroying things. Okay? He's big, he's tough, he's nasty. Well, they get to a primitive planet where you've got a social encounter lined up, and guess what? There are primitives, and they're a warrior culture, and the only PC they're willing to speak with, because he's the only one that really impresses them in any way, is the melee meat shield. Okay? <laughs> you're not picking on the guy. You're actually highlighting them, but forcing them to deal with their inadequacies in the game. You could, I mean, I can keep going, guys. Give me other archetypes out there, and I'll... <laughs> of... 
the talker, the face. GM no, Chris's like, uh, emporium for hitting him in the dump stat. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so the, the talker, the face. All right, fantastic. Uh, well, obviously, you want to get him into a combat encounter. Well, how do you do that? You have them off doing their own separate thing. Maybe they are... Um, Maybe maybe the, the rest of the team is sneaking into a facility or engaging in some combat while he's off running distraction somewhere, and that's his job. He's the face to keep people from pointing, uh, from looking at what's going on. But you force him to get involved in combat through a difficult moral decision. Uh, maybe he comes across a slave being beaten to death. Okay, maybe uh, there's a prisoner that's escaped. Um, maybe somebody doesn't like the way he looks and decides to f with him. Okay, uh, <laughs> you know the the idea is that you know he. You know, make him and his story the center of attention, but at the same time still challenge his weaknesses. There you go. Another way to challenge uh, weaknesses is to do party-wide checks. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, throw them all in the cold and be like, I need a resilience check from everyone. Like, yes, even you, guy with the computer. Like, all of you. Because yep. you're all cold. And and then watch what happens. You could start piling strain on somebody or, or whatever, and you're not picking on any one person. It's very egalitarian. Everybody has to make the check. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where the fear check comes in, too. You yeah, hear this massive roar. Fear checks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, fear checks are a great tool that you should be using a lot more of, especially at high-level play, because they're going to be going into more dangerous situations, more unusual situations. And with the exception of force users, discipline isn't really one of those things <laughs> that's commonly pumped. Sure. Um, and even even if even if they have a high discipline, uh, I mean, still throw throw a boss difficulty at them, throw make it formidable. Um, and, and yeah, you turn the corner and there's a crat dragon, and you're not afraid, but the rest of the party ran away. Good luck by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and even and even if they stand their ground, the setback dice that you're going to impose potentially as a result of failing that check is also going to go a long way towards managing those difficult dice pools. Sure. So let's talk about that. What about recommended skill difficulties for for challenging the PCs? Um, I say again, let them roll their massive skill pool, like you said, you know, versus average and hard checks on occasion. Maybe with some extra setbacks thrown in, you know. Got to let them feel powerful. You got to let them feel powerful. That's exactly it. And uh, we said this before, guys, but you really need to you really need to think about it here. Setback dice, setback dice, setback dice. At this level. Your PCs are probably going to have a lot of talents that negate setback dice. Mm-hmm. Give them the chance to put those talents into action. Um, you know, give them justification for their character choices. But not everything should be average and hard checks. I mean, you, I mean, guys, am I wrong? You should throw. I mean, at this level, you should be throwing some serious skill difficulties at them when it matters. Oh, and beyond that, I think a lot of opposed checks. Mm-hmm. So if you're the, the slicer of the group, and yeah, it doesn't matter what difficulty I throw at you, you know, anything I'm going to find in any book, you're probably going to beat that dawning check or do pretty well on the formidable. But if I throw my counter slicer at you that's got you rolling reds and purples on every time you're making a computer's check, things start to change because now there's, there's a high chance of despair getting rolled. I mean, the more opposed roles you could stick in there, the better, I say. No, I think, I think opposed roles is an excellent, excellent idea. Now, when you get into combat, obviously, that's a lot harder to do. But that's, sure. that's where adversary comes into play. That's where fear checks prior to combat come into play. That's where environmental circumstances that... Because at this level, your battles shouldn't be... Well, they shouldn't ever be in a room. You should always have environmental stuff. But at this level, man, your, your, your fight should be in the middle of 
you know, torrential tornadoes and hurricanes with rain pelting everybody, or at the top of a building or a moving speeder where you've got all kinds of environmental setback dice coming in to affect things as well. Or a crumbling building. Yes, that's falling apart, or a cliff that's broken away, or a, a, a giant, you know, uh, star killer planet that's, you know, been blown up and is starting <laughs> to break apart as it's, you know... Uh, earthquaking earthquake you know uh, ground you know tectonic plates start to shift you know i mean stuff like that because your pcs have done so much in the galaxy and gained such recognition the powers that be recognize this and will send them on the missions and against objectives that require that level of expertise so you are totally justified in throwing your PCs into situations where daunting and formidable checks are not exactly the norm, but expected, frequent, expected. And don't surprise your PCs with this. It should make them feel good. It should make them. You, you, it should be one of those things like, listen, you're the only people we can send to do this. We know this is a suicide run for anyone else. All right, but except yeah. except you guys. And oh man, your players will come out of the woodwork for that, man. They'll put on their best game faces. That's like that's like telling a chef, yeah, oh yeah, just bring me bring me what's good. I'm putting myself in your hands. They're gonna whip the best stuff out of the kitchen they possibly can. Right. I guess that brings us to to some of those objectives where let's talk about the NPC stat blocks in uh, in advanced games like this. Um I it's really important to point out that a group of three minions is still a threat that needs attention. Because mm-hmm. with the exception of certain skills, uh, or rather certain talents, it's still an average, you know, an average check to shoot somebody at medium range. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, the, the, I mean, even 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 your PCs with you know a thousand XP under their belt, even if they're activating hardcore defensive talents and they've got some boss armor, maybe they're they maybe they're looking at a couple setback dice. And an upgrade or two to the difficulty. Right. And, you know, your group of three minions, <laughs> I mean, they're still rolling a couple yellows on average. But, dude, you want to scare the crap out of your PCs and hurt them badly? Put those same minions into groups of five or six. Yes. Yes. Six stormtroopers with an attack roll of a blaster rifle. That go, you know, you, you increase your, that group from three to six. That goes from two yellows and a green to three yellows and two greens. Just like that. That's a three yellow, two green attack pool against your PCs. People don't realize what beautiful rules the minion rules are because you add just one more minion to that group and they become so much more effective, so much more deadly. And at, at high levels, yeah, throw minions at them. Let them fight minions all the live long day. Just make the groups larger. Uh, yeah, since, think think Geonosis, right? Yes, right. all those all those massive groups. Uh, but since we brought up minions as well, uh, um, I wrote something for the Age of Rebellion GM kit called the Squad and Squadron Rules. Uh-huh. Ah, uh, and if you have one of your big nasty, lots of adversary, lots of skills, and all that sort of big bad rival or nemesis guys with a squad protecting them on top of it, um, they're going to roll triumph a lot probably. Mm-hmm. And I do believe the table recommends on a triumph to give that minion group a free attack. Ugh. So uh, um, you can, if you want to scare your your players, uh, the squad and squadron rules can help you make that pretty nasty too. Another excellent suggestion. Very excellent suggestion. So, okay, challenging the PCs mechanically, 
all right? Obviously, uh, you know, you don't, you don't even have to up your threats that much. Just use adversary appropriately. Give them the appropriate defensive challenge, uh, talents at higher levels. Target your PC's weaknesses in a fun and creative way that makes them proud to be doing it and puts them in the limelight. Mm-hmm. Give them appropriate skill difficulties. And, you know, use minions wisely by increasing their numbers and squad rules. This is all still staying within the realm of of rules as written, raw things to do. Right on. And and all these things, guys, you can do, and it will if you do it properly, it will really go a long way towards mitigating any issues you're having with higher level play. What about house rules? There are groups out there that have actually implemented some very interesting house rules to kind of put a limit on high level play, especially if they have parties that really focus on being the not Johnny Everyman, but really a, a, a group of six hyper focused ponies that are all just superbly excellent at what they do. Um, the first and most common one I've seen is putting the six dice in a pool, um, or of, of, or I should say ability and proficiency dice, um, you know, the greens and yellows capping mm-hmm. that at six dice. What are y'all's thoughts on this? It's not bad. I mean, it doesn't come up often that you're even at high levels going to have more than six of those dice in a pool. But it can happen, and if you set that expectation ahead of time, your PCs are going to be spending less time and effort on really maxing out those ranks and diversifying a bit more as well. Yeah, it does tend to get the min-maxing under control very quickly, so you don't get the dude that has done true aim and (laughs) six in an ability and... Yeah. I will say, if you are that guy and this is your game, you might be in the wrong game. Like you might be missing <laughs> a big point of what this game does well. If if you're you're combing all the talent trees looking for that way to get one extra dice in the pool, dude. Fourth edition books are cheap on eBay right now. <laughs> right on. I'm just saying, um, they're like super cheap. I saw an entire fourth edition collection for like fifty bucks the other day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or at least that was what the auction was up to. Um, so, you know, there is that. The other interesting house rule, um, I think it's worth noting, actually, it was uh, I saw it earlier on Facebook, on our Facebook group, um, and Geiger Street, who's actually in the forums right now, it's one of his rules. He actually puts, enforces a limit on his skill ranks for his players, um, which I think is very interesting. Um, it's, it's a bit too crunchy for my taste, but I think it could work for some groups, um, where you can't buy more ranks in a skill, um, Basically, his limit is is two plus the number of specializations you have. So if you if you have one specialization, the max rank you can buy in something is three. If you want to buy rank four in a skill, you have to first buy a second spec. If you want to buy a third, uh, you know, a fifth rank in a skill, you have to buy a third spec. So it's pretty much like a you know, depending on whether you stay in or out of career, a fifty to seventy XP buffer. Um, it's also giving them more decisions to make. They have more options of what to buy. And, and that can diversify them away from just pumping into the one skill. Anyway, it was a very interesting house rule, um, and I thought it was worth sharing. Uh, uh, Gagasri noted that it, it's gone a long way towards really balancing out this game. It's been a great tool for him and his group. Um, so it's another option as well. Uh, that's all I got for house rules, though, because honestly, I don't really... Un- <laughs> and maybe this... maybe Guys, maybe this is telling... But we don't get a whole lot of house rules for this system, do we? <laughs> Not really. Whereas for D20, we had like an entire show segment devoted to suspending the rules. 
that you yeah, that you guys did, did, but every like five or six episodes seemed to be another suspending the rules. Oh, it got to the point where every other episode it was just there. Yeah, no, Dave's right. It was it was to the point where it was like it was like every other episode, you know. And, and it, it's hey, here's another house rule. Here's another house rule. Here's another house rule. I found a problem. Here's a house rule. We don't see that so much in the system. We no. really really don't and you definitely don't see it for high level play like this because there's just not a ton of people that get there that's true that's true as well that's true as well so that's challenging the PCs mechanically but this system does something even better than the mechanics and that's the narrative so Mm. when you get up to this high level of play you also need to keep challenging the PCs narratively as well Um, something like I, I refer to as same threats higher stakes Okay. It's all about the stakes of this game. At this level of advancements, the PCs are legitimately in the range of affecting the galaxy. Gotcha. Um, send them after MacGuffins. But instead of the MacGuffin being like affecting a crime lord or a local, uh, uh, a local uh, planetary moth, uh, it affects the entire sector. Mm, big, um, big stuff. Instead of going after the, the, the big bad evil guy for, for the planet or for the space station or even the sector, you send him after a Grand Admiral, someone who affects the galaxy. You send them after a Black Sun Vigo. <laughs> you know? That, that, that's the kind of threats that you have. You can still run those same games, but send them after the larger threats which require a higher skill set and require them to, to make more difficult roles. Simple as that. Now, on that level, as you talk about challenging the, the PCs narratively, mm-hmm. we've, ta- we've talked about it, obviously, earlier in this, in this segment, guys, but um, at this level, when you're getting to the, the you know, four, five hundred, a thousand XP, that's the point in time in a campaign I'd want to start rolling with the Star Wars homies. I, <laughs> the time to legitimately introduce named characters from the Star Wars canon to be equals and allies or even subordinates to the PCs. Mm. Friendly rivals, even. Friendly rivals is abso-freaking-lutely. Can I shoot down more TIE fighters than Luke Skywalker? Exactly. Screw that. Can I shoot down more TIE fighters than Wedge? (laughs) (laughs) That's the min-max character, though, Phil, Wedge. Right on, right on. Um, But consequently, not just allies, but threats i mean i mean if, if you're if your group at the end of this the thing at this level you guys have inserted yourself into the star wars galaxy in a way that you're going to and your players should be comfortable with breaking canon at this point man when you're sitting at a thousand xp why aren't you going after the emperor why aren't you trying to t- kill boba fett hey try it. it doesn't mean it's gonna work out either but go for it man take take your shot man that's all the PCs might not come back, but by all means, go for it. Yeah. Uh, Xavier Price is in chat talking about the Black Sun. And uh, in walks Gurry. Roll for initiative. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, Poe is definitely a min-max character. Any dude who shoots down a, a nearly a squadron of TIE fighters in 15 seconds, that's a min-maxed character. Yeah. Unless the TIEs were minions. I, it, I, even then... <laughs> Even then, he didn't have any blast weapons. I didn't see no blast. He was frightening. He was frightening. He was he was very frightening. It's um, you know, quite frankly, he just wanted his jacket back. That's <laughs> all it was. That's all it was. He was bitter. <laughs> he was just bitter. That's that's really what it came down to. 
Oh, you get me to the plane. And you get me on the plane and shoot down all your brothers. <laughs> okay. So I, I think one of the capstones really for our discussion, um, having taken a look at all the things we talked about and all the advice we've given to this point, running a high XP game, there's a few things that beyond the things you need to prepare for and these tips and tricks we provided, when you're running a high XP game, there's things you just have to be prepared for that aren't going to happen frequently. <laughs> if can at we all. talk, can we talk more about changing the PCs narratively before we move forward? Oh yeah, sure. We got, we got more to add, please. I, I have, I have a few things to add. I think, uh, like one thing I think that I love to do in my games as much as I can is to have the PCs almost as uh, that inter-party tension where maybe not everybody agrees on what we should be doing. And uh, um, I, I think you could challenge your players uh, uh, morally and, and just being on the same page. It's easy to be like, your mission is to go shoot this Grand Admiral guy in the face. But um, if you can tie that character or their background or the planet you're operating on and what the fallout would be of that action, like, yeah, you could do it. But it's almost certainly going to cause an imperial crackdown on this planet, and maybe that's where your family lives or one of the PC's families live there. I, th- I think if you could create complex moral situations that don't have super clear yes or no answers all the time, it, you can make an adventure memorable even if they pass every check with nothing but triumphs, uh, because they're, they're just deciding what to do and getting there and and narratively playing out how they get there can be more entertaining than anything else that happens in the game. It's mm. good. Good. Very good. So when you're running these high XP games and you're providing those same said situations, Keith, for your players, sure. there's things you're going to experience just from a pure mechanical standpoint um, that are just not going to be there at lower level play. Um, and what it really comes down to for me, guys, is hilarity. <laughs> um, hilarity and crazy situations are going to happen. Um, right. the, you know, for no, for no other reason than the fact that your PCs and your NPCs are very likely, as we've kind of intimated, going to be tossing around a lot of yellow and red dice. Mm-hmm. Um, and this means a really, really increased chance for high, high advantage and threat or triumph and despair results. Um, and as as you guys may have experienced at this point, when you get to those higher levels, um, both at once. Ha- I mean, having having you know triumph and despair on the same roll happening a lot more frequently. That and boatloads of threat, but it triumph and boatloads of advantage and triumph, or boatloads of advantage and two despairs. You know. Now at this point. Ideally, as your players have been getting used to this system and becoming experts in it, so have you as a GM. So you hopefully will be on point with your with your game to be able to adjudicate those mixed roles on the fly. And we had an entire episode devoted to adjudicating mixed roles, yep. um, where we provided some pretty good examples early on. Um, but I think I think players and GMs need to be prepared for this and start changing their thinking a little differently and have ideas as to what these results could be and how they would affect any given situation beyond the vanilla suggestions that are in the book or the GM screen. I don't know. Maybe if you're a GM, create a list of pre-generated <laughs> despair results or triumph suggestions. 
Hmm, sounds like something we'd have on D20 radio somewhere. Oh, it almost sounds like it. Um, in in my modules that I, I, I do, you know, I always, every encounter, have a list of suggested uh, despair effects and suggested triumph effects um, for the, that are unique to the combat. But you really need to, to think about that. So, yeah. Can I relay a brief anecdote from the Epic XP game oh. where triumph and despair came up? Please. Um, so this was named by the players after the fact as the uh, the beef in the reef, uh, as the an epic combat moment. Uh, Kit Fisto, the uh, the highly mortal Kit Fisto, uh, was somehow got left behind during a chase sequence, and he had to fight uh, this other fellow, this Aqualish that had been left behind, uh, named Shonudo. So these two are just they're gonna box the. Kit Fisto's like, I'm not going to use my lightsaber because he's just coming at me with fists. And uh, Kit Fisto rolls and attacks, and he rolls a triumph and a despair. So resolve the triumph first. And he had already hurt him. He had already, like, broken, like, leg kicked him and, and injured his leg. So he had, like, a limp or something because with on a critical. So he rolls another triumph, and he wants to crit again. So he rolls a crit, and he rolls the one that uh, completely, like, destroys a limb. Like, not the one that amputates it, but the one that says it just doesn't work anymore. Yeah, cripples So. So he picked that one. And then in this amazing uh, uh, situation of Kismet, uh, I had written, you know, backgrounds for all these NPC characters. And I'm going to read, it's very short, uh, for Shonudo. This Quora Aqualish brawler has a very unlucky family, seven of which have lost limbs to Jedi through various criminal encounters over the past (laughs) two decades. As a result, he has dedicated his life to preparing to face off against Jedi. He's yet to actually meet, he has yet to actually meet any in combat, but he's eager to seek revenge for his family, most of whom cannot afford cybernetic replacements, which is why he took this job, to make money. And uh, they can't work his hired muscle without limbs, so he hopes to buy them all replacements after he kills one. Uh, so Shonudo hates the Jedi beyond all reason and will fight to the death. And Kit Fisto had already damaged, you know, completely incapacitated one limb and severely damaged another. So for the despair, I relayed this story to him. He remembered reading it in a you know manual or something like that, and knows that he is just wrecking not just this guy's life, but like his whole family is just getting shut down. And the Kit Fisto player felt so bad that he he just let the guy get away. He showed mercy. Aww. And that was how I spent the despair. And it was just it just happened to line up that way. But it was great. That's a terrible despair. <laughs> but it did, you know, it was a narrative use of the despair, but uh, it was effective. Kit Fisto felt terrible. Didn't want to generate conflict by uh, hurting him anymore. Let him swim Actually, away. Actually, I think that's a, um, that's a fairly remarkable player right there. Well, it, to be fair, the game was at Gamer Nation Con where the best players go to roles. So, <laughs> Dude, I think you just created a new tagline. <laughs> And hey, PCs, um, we are talking about like you know things that the GM can come up with for despairs and triumphs and massive amounts of advantage. Um, chip in, do your share. You are just as responsible for coming up with heroic uses for your triumphs as you are for unfortunate circumstances for the bad guys' despairs. Um, so be ready, be prepared, and start. You know, anytime you're in this situation, start thinking about neat things that you can do with your results and their calamities. It's on yeah. you as too. It's a com- it's a communal cooperative game in that way. Uh-oh, yeah. I see the uh I see that the uh, URL for the list has made an appearance in chat. Yes. 
the list structuring encounter designs. It's there. Sounds like a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> well, we get a lot of free content over at D20 Radio, and actually, if you um, if you go to d20radio.com, you can find a uh, a link to a section of the site where we got a lot of free content, and one of those is a nice PDF of the list from our encounter design episode. Um, and you know, those things still apply. I think more now than ever at this level of play. Okay, guys. So, wrapping up this talk, Dave, you had brought early on when we were having this this sort of intro discussion. You brought up a very interesting question. When do you call it quits? <laughs> <laughs> when do you call it i mean that's a great point right so i mean it's not just this game it's lots of games it's lots of systems there's you know and there comes a time in every man's life when it's just time to end right i mean you have to yeah. end it and so you know, let's let's all face it, we hit a wall sometimes, right? Challengers aren't challenging anymore. The threats the GM has to come up with are ridiculous. I mean, you basically have to fight Zeus or take on an entire army by yourself, you know, or, or take on galactic nations single-handedly because, by golly, I've got the stats and I can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and this, is, this is less of a problem in this system because, you know, we've already discussed kind of the the whole PC power advancement thing, but you know, even with that there sometimes is just a time to end, you know, and then you don't you don't have to continue for the sake of continuing, right? So trying something new isn't always bad. There's a whole bunch of other characters. We've got I've got twenty something I guess. I've got five ten I've got twenty books on my shelf. You know, and, and that's, there's always something to do. And then if you're really, oh, I've played everything I can play in the Rebel Rebellion, go Imperial. <laughs> Read Chris Hunt's article. Right. Um, you I know mean, what? Do an all droid campaign. Thank you. All Imperial campaigns are fun, man. I did my uh, uh, 501st campaign. Uh, for A New Hope, where you play only as stormtroopers the whole time. Everybody loves that. It's good fun. When I was... Okay, tangent. Um, when ba- Back in the Saga Edition days, um, one of my friends who actually made it to Gamer Nation Con this year for the first time, uh, GM Tenny, uh, we introduced him to the entire hobby of role-playing through that Star Wars system. And he, he totally fell in love with it and decided he wanted to start GMing his own games, right? So... He wanted to start small, so he asked me and two other good friends to be his PC. So it was a party of three. And he said, I want, to, I want, you, I want this to be a, a Clone Wars era game, and I want you guys all to be clone troopers. Awesome. So we made our clone troopers, and we actually had a high-level NPC who was our Jedi general, our handler, right? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, new GMs think they're clever, but those of us who've been around the block, we, we, we sense story beats, and we can, we can kind of get a sense of what's coming, right? Yep. And the three, you know, the boss at the end of the campaign, at least, right? You, you, you do, and <laughs> and two of us that were playing this as PCs, we're we're both very experienced. This was Brev and I, both very experienced GMs, and um, we could kind of sense that it was it was reaching a point that you know, okay, when, when is Order sixty six going to happen, right? <laughs> and so it was our third session of this campaign, and we had this incredible fight, and it was all awesome, and we t- overtook this space station. 
And in the end, we, we just defeat the BBEG, and we're there with our general, and all of a sudden we get this little bleep on our comms, and, you know, we're wrapping up for the session. And, and uh, you know, he, Tenny had taken great pains to to really build up a rapport between us and this Jedi general and, and, and sh- show like, like that he, he didn't treat us as, as clones, you know, things, things, the clone wars cartoon started to get into, you know, like, he was like one of the, the good ones. He was one of the good ones. He was really like, you know, respecting us as people and trying to teach us and talk to us about thinking independently and really respecting us. And so, Tenny, you know, had this call come in, you know, it's like, you know, you know, we get this disembodied emperor saying execute order 66. And, um, we all we all look at each other, and Brev and I lock eyes. And Brev turns to Tenny and says, "I pull out my heavy gun and I spend a destiny point and shoot him in the back of the head." And, and, and Tenny lost. He's like, "What? Why? Because the emperor just told me to execute Order sixty six. I'm a clone trooper. Next, emperor just told me to do it. I got to respect the chain of command." And Tenny was like, "What are you guys doing?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull, point. pull out my pistol, spend the destiny point, back of the head, and." And the other player, Jake, was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna do the same thing," and he completely lost it. It was that was the last session we played of that campaign. <laughs> well, at least now you can tell them it, it wasn't their fault. They had chips programmed in their brain, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is true. This is true. At the time, I don't think we'd had that revelation yet. But sure. Um, anyway, I think I told that story before. But yeah, pretty pretty fun stuff. Every time I think of playing uh, as you know, five hundred first or uh, you know, Stormies or Clone Troopers, it's always fun stuff. But ending the game, though, I mean, Dave, you. You, your 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 analysis is spot on, and honestly, guys, when do you end it? Final thoughts: When is it time to hang up the towel and say, "Okay, we've earned enough XP"? Seven hundred and twelve XP. That's it. Game over. <laughs> I, mean, I think, like you said, uh, there's a lot of planning the campaign to have a natural ending point narratively, anyway. But if you didn't do that, if this just sort of happened. I think uh, the second you sense that you're running into all these sorts of problems too much for this to go on, you you take everything, including the kitchen sink, and you throw it in one big, big last hurrah, and you make that you make your ending. Yeah, you you get the natural you get the natural feel for your game. Um, either you have you you started this whole uh, campaign with an ending point in mind, or it gets to a point where you are no longer. You're, you're stressing over these issues that we've talked about, and it's no longer fun for you, or it's no longer fun for your PCs. And then you end the game. You, you, I like Keith. I, Keith, I like what you do. You, you, everything in the kitchen sink, right. one big ending, and do something new. Like Dave said, yep. how many? Well, isn't that specials? Have we done? How many characters have we made that we want to play? There's 18 careers, right? Times tons and tons. You know, three or six specializations per yeah. career. Yeah, I mean, at some point in time, all you got to do, you've got to put them in a ship and have a hyperdrive malfunction. Sorry. <laughs> or they have Rock to... balls, everyone dies. Oh, give them, give them the heroic moment out. Let them, let them give, give them the chance to, to sacrifice their lives to save a million people. And sure. let, them, let them go out like big damn heroes. I mean, but good thoughts, guys. Wonderful suggestion. Keith, thank you for all your insight on this. Um, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely huge. And guys, uh, again, uh, thank you for the suggestion. I was really surprised to get this as our number one suggestion. I'm glad we got into it. But we want to know what you want us to talk about. Head to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums and the Order 66 podcast boards and post up your show suggestions. And the Facebooks, take to social media at uh, d20radio on Twitter. You guys can tweet us. 
Um, or you can uh, join the Facebook group of D20 Radio, and you will find other numerous polls about what to talk about next and uh, ask questions and, and, and all that jazz. So thank you. And speaking of asking questions, I think it's about time, guys. Maybe we get to some questions from our listeners? Yes. Done. He doesn't seem to take a hint, this guy. I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. Messages from the Edge. Boy, am I glad to hear your voice. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge in this instance. Welcome to Messages from the Edge, our regular show segment where we take the time to answer your game and rules questions about the system. And how can people get us these questions? I ask the... Well, the easiest way is to travel to our forums and post it up. Head to www.d20radio.com slash forums, register, and head to the Order 66 podcast boards where you'll find a Messages from the Edge thread. You can also email your questions to us at gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com, and, of course, gmphil at d20radio.com. Finally, if you are brave enough, you can leave us a question via the voicemail on the D20 Radio hotline at 262-D20-RADIO. That's 262-320-7234. And a bit of an audible. Uh, actually, I forgot to change it in the show notes. Uh, GMDave at d20radio.com is no longer a valid email address. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Because <laughs> Dave's account got spam hacked. Um, mm-hmm. So what is, your, what is your new email address, Dave? GMDave at thegamernation.org. GMDave at thegamernation.org. All right. So that fixed. Done. That's done, the one. Done and done. All right, so David, what do we what do we got tonight, man? What's our first question? Our first question tonight comes from Into the Night. Who? Poet. Don't know it. He posts this. He says, "Hey all, long time not listener, first time poster." So in the last session I was GMing, I ran across a bit of a dilemma with my Politico. This Politico is 100% focused on the scathing tirade side of the tree. He's looked at inspiring rhetoric talents, but he's always decided against them. In our last session, the party was trapped in a room with some NPCs and rampaging beasts. The last member of an NPC group was one wound away from death at the jaws of the beast that had him pinned. The Politico asked if he could use his leadership skill to offer him words of encouragement and maybe give him a fighting boost die of a chance to escape this one alive. The Politico, with one rank in leadership, was essentially trying to use improved inspiring rhetoric without taking the talent, so I ruled against it and told him why, honestly. I didn't give it much thought because the Politico never shown concern for the deadweight allies below before, after the session. However, I found out the player was a little miff that I shot him down so easily. <clears throat> yes, I know the feeling. He described it more cinematically as the minion getting that last one bit of hope to help him fight even when it all seemed lost. I could see where he was coming from, probably would have added something to the encounter, but at the same time he weighed his option, deliberately chose not to take the talent. That would have let him do what he wanted. I could see him using the leadership to help direct the NPCs to focus fire on a single talent, granting boost die in the process, it's harder to justify this case, though. I like the idea, but he doesn't have the talent. It's been bugging me ever since. Did I make the right call? No! 
Also, I'm going to go ahead and say that player didn't make the right call. Uh, use scathing tirade on the beast and give him a bad dog. Bad. <laughs> and make him go away. Like, stick to your skill set, bro. Um, this is a good question. But I do like the fact that he's coming to us and saying, hey, maybe... Maybe I maybe I could have rethought things, dude. Yeah, good on good on him for actually realizing. Hey, did I err on this? Actually, not just asking the question. You know what I mean? Um, let's start by reviewing the inspiring rhetoric series of talents found on page one thirty-seven of the Edge of the Empire core rulebook in one place where they are located. Um, the base talent simply allows for an average two purple leadership check to allow an ally or allies to recover some strain. That is what the talent does. The upgraded Improved Inspiring Rhetoric also gives the affected allies a free boost die to everything they do for a number of rounds equal to your leadership rank. But while this is the actually like and and all, all PCs I know that have gone Inspiring Rhetoric and PCs I've made that have gone Inspiring Rhetoric, I don't care about recovering strain. My goal is to get to improved, right? Because right. that's that's the primary benefit for me. I, I wanna I want to I want to get to that boost die, but. Realize that's honestly not the main focus of the talent. It's a strain recovery talent. So, did he make the right call? No! (laughs) Look, in the moment, he kept the game going. He made a call. And honestly, that is the call, period. You are the GM, bro. But would would I have made that call? (laughs) Would we? Would Would, we have made that call? That's a better question. Would would we have made that call? I think you know how I stand on this. Yeah. Can I, can I give it a clarification? What exactly did the PC want to to do? What did they want to do? To, they just wanted, they wanted to give, to, give they, a boost die. They wanted so to make, give them. So just say you're giving them a boost die. End of story. I mean, I mean, you can t- you can spend a maneuver just to do that. Actually, right? Yeah, um, that's that's what we're saying. <laughs> but 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 even then, if he wants to use his leadership check, like I don't know. The, the thing is, like this. Uh, how many times have we said this, guys? This is the yes and system, right? Right. You want to do something crazy? Sure, but you have this to deal with. Look, improved inspiring rhetoric, I don't even consider what he wanted to do in the same vein, because improved inspiring rhetoric lets a Politico make make a two purple check, which for, honestly, a seasoned Politico is nothing, okay? And if you're successful, you can grant multiple allies a boost eye on every single check they make for multiple rounds. This player wanted to grant one NPC a single boost eye on a single check. They they just don't, that doesn't compare to me. Um, having the talent, yeah, bro, means that he could do that easily. But without the talent, still let him try. It's like yes, you can try, and it's against a three purple difficulty with a setback die since he's got a slavering beast trying to eat his face off. Sure. I mean, I mean, a single boost die to a single roll. I mean, as, yep. you, as you guys said, could be granted by someone with no talents simply by taking the, the maneuver. Or even, I'm sorry, even even just leadership, I mean, no talents or leadership ranks. I mean, for Pete's sake, you can roll a couple of advantage on an attack roll and give a free boost die to somebody. Right. Um, for, me, for me, this goes back, hearkening back to a story where we almost had, I would say we came within about 12 seconds of a domestic violence call. <laughs> In one of our sessions where Chris wouldn't let Krista try to make a healing, yeah. saving throw for a guy turning into a rat ghoul. Yeah. One of my yeah, – every, every GM carries that list of about half a dozen GM moments where you really mess things up. 
Yep. And that's that's like number two on my list. <laughs> and she was like, she was like, let me try. Just let me try. You know, I don't care what the difficulty is. Just let me try. And I mean, that's that's it. So, I mean, and that's a learning situation. My, my advice, man, is bottom line in the future, your default should always be, yes, you can attempt this, but insert harder difficulty or strain Slip a destiny point or something. destiny point or other major limiting factor here. No should be the exception, not the rule. And I've said no before, legitimately, okay, um, usually when a PC is already succeeding wildly and they want to get something extra for nothing. But <laughs> but at that point, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, sure, you can try, but here's the risk and here's the difficulty. I mean, I don't know. So, I mean, dude, good on you for realizing that you may have, you may have made a poor call. And honestly, I, I mean, I think we would recommend, you know, doing it differently next time. But, you know, always, always go at it with the assumption of yes. And then what else? You know what I mean? Right. So. I don't know. What about you guys? I mean, I mean, Dave. Obviously, you're. you're... I'm with you. No, I'm. I'm with you 100. percent And that's when he was going through this. I was rerunning that exact scenario that I just talked about in my head to basically say, "Look, it's such an easy thing. It's a boost." I for crying out loud, the guy is going to die at the hands of this thing. Just let him do it. You know, make make your player happy. That's that's the one thing, right? Is is make your player happy. Don't carry animosity from one session to the next because I guarantee you two, three, four sessions down the road, this guy is still going to remember how you dicked him over. Yeah. Oh, Phil, thoughts? Um, I go back to the show that we talked about using non-combat skills in combat. Um, absolutely. You want to use leadership skills to bolster your allies even though that's not your wheelhouse, even though that's not your character's build. Yeah, just make it a little bit harder. Make it a little bit harder. The effect isn't nearly as good as the talents that do it that way, but especially when you want to get like a boost die. Heck, if you roll well enough, I'd even allow an upgrade to that guy's check, you know? Totally. Something. Totally. Yes, and. Yeah. And I think he forgot that it's like you can do that just as a maneuver. You don't, you don't even have to make a check. Yeah. A boost yeah. But, yeah, that's why I thought like maybe he, he wanted to heal the ally by recovering strain, which is not the same as recovering wounds. I, I and overthought even, it. And even yeah. then, I'd let him do that just at a really hard check. Right. Um, yeah, sure. So Try it. It's daunting. It's there. But good question, dude. Thank you for bringing it up. And uh, and uh, dude, talk to your player and about actually, it. And actually, bigger thanks for opening yourself up for the potential criticism because, you know, we don't hold punches, but <clears throat> it was big of you to ask. Dude, it, it is. And I have to. I also have to make a point. It is obvious that he is, just from this mere conversation that we're having, a good GM who has a good relationship with his players. The fact is, his player also, I mean, guys, how many of your players would come to you saying, listen, man, I'm really kind of miffed about this and I wanted to talk to you about it. Would any of you guys get that level of trust from half your party? I mean, I mean, sure. I mean, well, I mean, well we, we might. But yeah, we've cultivated that kind of PC group. But I we've, think. But we've we've cultivated that kind of PC group. But no, for for your for 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 most GMs out there, that speaks of a really good relationship that you've got with that yeah. player, man. And I, I'm telling you, uh, uh, into the night, you should you should cultivate that. Let the player know, hey, man, maybe I think I messed up on this, and I want you, to, I want to let you know, I'm going to try and not do that again, and I, it'll go a long way towards repairing any damage you did. And there's a learning curve with when you're coming to this system versus some of the other ones you might have played too where uh, um, there's more of that adversarial relationship between GMs and players, like kind mm-hmm. of hard-coded in there if you've been playing RPGs for 10 or 20 years or whatever. 
So breaking some of those habits where you just want to say no all the time, that, that could be tricky. Yeah. Yep. All right. What do you got next, Dave? All right. Next question comes in from Facebook. <laughs> yeah, we've gotten to that point, guys. <laughs> I love it. Next up, Instagram. <clears throat> so, uh, Darren West asks us this. Hey, gang, I've searched the books and can uh, only find a little bit about player death. How many critical hits means a player or nemesis is dead? Is there a number or just once you start getting 151 plus on the chart, you could die? Also, if a player uses parry and soak and takes no damage from an attack that had enough advantage of trying to trigger a critical per raw, doesn't that mean the critical is not triggered? That's correct. But yeah, that's a... We get that question a lot. We do, we do. Phil, do you want to take this one? Sure, I can do that. Um, And like we said, it's a pretty much common question. Um, Character death really isn't easy in this system. Uh, If we take a look at the Edge of the Empire core rulebook, pages 218 and 300, we realize that PC death happens a couple of ways. If you roll a, a, a crit roll of 141 or higher, it's death. That may sound impossible, but realize that multiple advantages can be spent to crit multiple times in the same attack. Um, You've got lethal blows in there. Any additional wounds a person has adds 10 to the result. Um, Vicious on weapons. Vicious vicious on weapons, that adds the result. So actually getting to 141 isn't as difficult as it initially sounds. Also, when you exceed your wound threshold and drop unconscious, you automatically suffer a critical hit. Also realize that some attacks or weapons, like as Keith said with the vicious quality, are already adding plus 10 to crit results, or more. And two, the devs have clarified that if a player suffers wounds to take them past double their wound threshold, that is also death. So you need to track wounds past your wound threshold, first of all. Second of all, if you're hit with a starship scale turbo laser, you're dead. Common sense. The (laughs) damage is just so massive. But for Nemeses, uh, let's be frank. Uh, per the raw, they function exactly as characters do. But I have never, ever tracked a wound threshold past exceeding. You knock them out, they're dead. Yeah. I run the same way, Phil. Yeah. They're dead if, I, if I'm okay with them being dead. Well, yeah, precisely. <laughs> but, right? Um, so so hey, even, even if they're legitimately dead, they may still come back at a later time. It's <laughs> uh, you know, the rules serve the, the story, not the other way around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. No additional comments from me. Uh, I'll say rules are written. Uh, I'll throw them right out the window. If a player wants to sacrifice themselves in spectacular fashion, I'm not going to be like, no, you jumping on that grenade, you still have one more point of damage you can take before you're over your double over your wound. I don't care if they're narratively trying to create a moment. I'm going to let them get away with that. With we had own. a deal like that. I, I'm sorry I stepped out real quick because my, uh, my girls just came home. Did you talk about the Jake moment? No, no. Uh, we have not, no. But that, I mean, that we had that basically a character that had fostered this love for another character died in order to save her. In real life, he was moving to California. And he was going to leave the gaming group, but he wanted to create that moment, and we were not going to argue with him because it was freaking epic. Yeah, it was very. Oh, that's great. I mean, those are those are big emotional moments, especially uh, just to go back to the epic XP for a moment. But 
if you're at that moment where you know this campaign's ending anyway, some people are going to want to go out in a blaze of glory. You know what I mean? Not everybody needs to make it to the sunset. It's true. Uh, agreed. It's true. It's going to make that last section session uh, that much more memorable. It absolutely is. Okay. Good question. Um, <clears throat> our last question tonight comes from Twelfth Knight on the forums who posts this. I have a question about the Supreme Armor Master talent for the Armorer. Uh, given that it's an incidental to activate, can the talent be used after the player who knows what critical injury result was rolled? Um, that's what makes the most sense to me, as we've always run Parry Reflect with, with knowing the damage taken before deciding to apply the Parry Reflect reduction. But I don't want to snatch a maimed or a really nasty crit away from a GM, my GM's grasp without double-checking. Um, while we're on the topic, how does Supreme Armor Master interact with special critical injury circumstances like a Disruptor Pistol's crippled minimum effect? Uh, what about the Warden's Precision Strike, for that matter? Uh, what about plain old lethal blows and vicious? Um, given that my poor armorer is already missing a leg, <laughs> uh, two yes. sessions before acquiring Supreme Armor Master, of course, uh, she and I would greatly appreciate clearing this up. Uh, here's hoping I can safely remove the next uh, limb from the GM's chopping block at the low cost of three strain. Sex in advance, Christine. Dave, you want to take this one? Or did he step out again? He may have stepped out again. Right. Now I'm here. You're I just turned my mic down while I was talking to Taylor. Okay. So, <clears throat> Christine, good question, first of all. And, um, uh, you know, th- this is one of those things where, okay, so open up Keeping the Peace, page 30, by the way, for the Guardian, an armor's supreme armor master talent. Uh, it says that once per round, as an incidental... After suffering a critical injury, you can suffer three strain to result re, uh, to reduce the result of the critical roll by ten per point of your soak. <clears throat> um, I mean, can I get a badass here? Yeah, that's, yeah. it's a really badass sound. <laughs> it is. It, uh, but you know, can you wait and see? So if they rolled a four, you're not going to use it. You know, before you decide to use it, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. The whole point is to reduce it, right? The answer is yes, basically. You always, 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 as I think we uh, are pointing out, is that you err on the side of the player unless it is absolutely clarified otherwise. <clears throat> and with this and other similar talents, is quite frankly, um, the player should be able to see what's coming and make an informed decision or reaction in this case. And you know, about the only time I don't think this would apply, and and this is based on responses that we've seen from devs to similar questions is with certain talents and weapons like disruptors that have a minimum critical result. You cannot reduce those. And that is a dev response. But, hey, you know what? It's still a badass talent. Word. Word. And I'm kind of... I'm kind of. I was kind of lukewarm about that response. I kind of wanted the Supreme Armor Master to reduce the minimal crit ratings from things like disruptors or precision strike. But at the same time, I kind of... I mean... It would kind of neuter the weapon and or talent. You know what I mean? I mean, Chris, think about it from the other way. What if it's the the big bad evil guy who has the talent and it's that PC who bought into those talents shooting at them? Or managed to save up enough money to buy and find a disruptor. That freaking disruptor, disruptor, finally. That's probably going to break in two sessions anyway. Yeah. Because there's no way I'm letting him have it long. Like, I I don't think you want to (laughs) take that, that power away from them. You know, let them have their their moment, too. I think the the key thing that it does is you're you're it's going to be a lot harder to take your arm off, 
and it's going to be a lot harder to kill you with with a, a, a specific crit. Yeah. Yeah. Loss of limb seems to be Christine's main concern anyway. <laughs> At this point, she's running out. So oh. unless she's a basilisk and didn't mention that or something like that, she's word. She's running low on limbs. Word. Phil, any thoughts to add? Um, I actually wanted to take a look at Supreme Armor Master. I took a look at it, and it did say reduce it to a minimum result of one. Um, I think there's a commando talent out there where it, you, if you reduce it to zero or less, then you actually don't take the crit. Yeah. And if that was the case, then I absolutely would allow it to you know deny a disruptor rifle its minimum crit result. But since our Supreme Armor Master does say it reduces it to a minimum result of one, then technically you are still taking the crit, you are still taking the wound, so disruptor weapon, minimum result of cripple. Yeah. It is what it is. It I is would, what it is. I would agree. I mean, that's what um, a disruptor does. <laughs> right, right. But she also mentions, like, you know, what happens what happens with, like, lethal blows and stuff like that. Then it's just a math problem. Yeah. You know, add 20, subtract, some, sub, subtract 60 because your soak is 6, you know? Yeah. That's just math, and that works the way that works. That's how it works. Good questions, guys. We want more of them, of course. Give us your questions. Head over to d20radio.com slash forums. Uh, head to the Order 66 podcast board. You'll find a sticky, dedicated thread for messages from the edge. Uh, you can also post them up on Facebook or email us, GM Chris or GM Phil at d20radio.com or GM Dave at thegamernation.org. And you can also call in questions for us. Uh, people do that. <laughs> 262-D20-RADIO. That's 262-320-7234. Dial the numbers. And with that, this show is going to come to a close. We hope you all hang around for a little bit for post-show, for five minutes or so, because we have an exciting pair of contests we're going to announce. Um, But, uh, no, this was a a really fun discussion. Keith, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk with us today. Oh, you know, I love it. Uh, um, Next show. I'm not sure if we have next show in the can yet. Um... Uh, we we have a. We're, it's looking like an economics. Well, at least that's what it looks like. On I am the so Facebook. I am so confused by this request. I don't understand what we would talk about. Yeah, I'm kind of <clears throat> I'm kind of swayed by that too because we kind of talked about the whole setting up your own business and all that stuff, like on episode you know fifty. But even then, like how to acquire credits? Uh, well, you do. I, I think the better discussion stuff. is how to take them away as a GM. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe how at what rate you should award them might be a kind of thing, but I don't know. I don't know if it's like full show topic worthy. Um, I don't know. We can we can discuss, but uh, it's there. Uh, but as of right now, guys, uh, we are we are slated for our, our next show um, on June twelfth. So hopefully you will tune in for that. Um, but until then, thank you all for listening and uh, get to the forums, get to d20radio.com, and become a part of the community, which is ever growing at a rather staunch rate this is gm chris thanking you again and wishing you all peace love and good gaming and keep them dice a rolling from gm dave and may the dice be with you
This podcast and related website are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, Walt Disney Corporation, 20th Century Fox, or Fantasy Flight Games. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names, pictures, or references to any Star Wars vehicles, characters, or other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited, Fantasy Flight Games, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio, visual, or textual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast and the Gamer Nation LLC. Showtime. All right, so let's get to the big stuff first. And uh, Phil, unfortunately, had to drop off. It's uh, late night for him on the East Coast, and he's got work in the morning. So thank you, Phil. Um, thank you, babe. We love you. So, Dave, thanks to the wonderful graces of FFG, we have a couple books in our grubby little hands uh, for giveaways. Do we not? We do, and this is courtesy directly of Sam Stewart. I uh, I want to call this out. This is this is Sam Stewart sending us a couple of books. This is uh, I think this goes a little beyond general FFG. You know what they give us. This is Sam, and so <clears throat> um, what do we got? Thanks to him, we have a role playing game core rulebook for End of the World. This is the Alien Invasion. If you see, there's three different ones. There's a red one, a, a yellow one, and a green one. I think. This is the green one. This is the end of the world alien invasion. <clears throat> it is cool. It is a fun game to play. We have played it. You literally create characters based on yourselves. And anyway, I won't spoil the fun. <clears throat> it is a completely and wholly contained role-playing game in one single book. It's about the size of a source book that we would have for... Um, <clears throat> Edge of the Empire, maybe like uh, one of the bigger ones, like Sons of Fortune. And if Can you guys... I tell a story about the end of the world line really quick? Oh God, yeah. So, Didn't you do one set in like? Yeah, let uh, me tell it because that's definitely what I'm going to talk about. Yeah, um, oh, is this so, the one you're talking about where you're all Steinfeld yes, characters? Yes, yes. This yes. is awesome. I want to hear about this. So uh, um, Tim Cox is the guy who does the end of the world books. Him and uh, the dev is Tim Flanders, I think. That they they imported this game and tweaked it for American audiences. And uh, um, so I have my own Patreon, which you could check out at patreon.com slash krcapple. But uh, uh, we have a pickup game every month, and I bring in a guest GM that writes stuff, and I have them run a game. They do. So I got Tim to come in, uh, Cox, to run End of the World. Now, the game is built where you're going to play as yourself, and everybody votes on the stats for you being yourself. But being an online gaming group on Roll20, nobody really knew each other like that, and what was the location going to be anyway? It, it posed a lot of problems for us to run it digitally online. Right. So the solution me and Tim came up with was, uh, well, we just need to do something everybody's super familiar with already. And uh, um, we said, like, let's let's do End of the World Zombies as the cast of Seinfeld, like in 1997 New York or whatever. <laughs> and it was it was so outstanding. I got to play as George Costanza, and we spent <laughs> we spent the first like maybe 45 minutes denying that there was a zombie apocalypse. Uh, we just accused people of being rude and were so self-involved that uh, 
we didn't notice what was going on. But uh, then we finally got wise, freaked out, and we were all. <laughs> Why is that guy eating this other guy? <laughs> what is the deal with these zombies? But uh, <laughs> so uh, we finally figured it out, and luckily one of the pregens was uh, uh, Putty Elaine, sometimes uh, uh, love yeah, interest Putty, yeah. and uh, um, he's very useful because he's like a mechanic-y kind of guy. So he was the only useful character. The rest of us were basically almost dying the whole time. Uh, but Elaine got a call from our boss and we had to fight our way all through the city to, uh, um, get this helicopter ride. Cause the boss, Elaine's boss had a helicopter on the Is roof. Peterman's. Yeah. Peterman, Peterman co, uh, with all of the urban sombreros, <laughs> but, uh, um, Kramer's little buddy, the, the midget, he was a zombie. We encountered him. <laughs> uh, putty ended up sacrificing himself for Elaine. Uh, George could have saved putty by distracting, the lion or tiger that ended up eating him with the pastrami sandwich that he put in his pocket from Jerry's house. <laughs> but he really, really, really thought he might get hungry later. So he, he wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't ready to, to use it as a distraction. It was a little too little too late when everybody else yelled at me and made me throw it. Um, but then Newman pulled up in the mail truck and saved us all. It was, uh, Newman. yeah. Yeah. Cause Newman loves Elaine as well. So it was, it was outstanding. It was probably, I mean, we recorded it, and it's going to find the light of day eventually because uh, it was a really good time. It was a lot of fun. Dude. Dude, that was, that's so cool. I can just see Elaine like, oh, Billy, I see why you didn't call me back. You're a zombie now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. great. It's a great game. It's a lot of fun. You can have a lot of fun with it. If you guys would like another positive review of, um, of End of the World, I actually wrote a GDP segment on D20 Radio. Um, about it, uh, actually specifically dealing with the um, uh, the, the the gods and apocalypse one, um, sure. uh, the apocalyptic events one, and uh, you guys can head to d20radio.com and just search for G2P and you will find it. Um, really, really great review. So that is awesome, and I it, it's really just a great title. So, okay, Sam was good enough to get us that. What was the other thing he got us? Yes. The other thing is one of the newest... Um, I don't, not the newest, I, 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 although it might be right now, a source book of worlds strong in the force. This is Nexus of Power. Yeah, hey, I worked on that. Ah, she did. She did. <clears throat> this is uh, one of the newest Force and Destiny source books. It is, um, it is good. It is clean. It is sweet. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Some people say they have savage spirits in hand, so it's not... Oh, I've seen pictures. People have it in hand. Yeah, people have it, and my game store doesn't have it yet. So it's like almost the newest. It's it's almost the newest, but still, it's it's there. It's there. Yeah. Um, So here's what we're going to do, guys. We are going to hold two separate contests for each of these books. Obviously, one of them is going to be as a Star Wars book, and it's going to be focused on the Star Wars podcast, which is the Order 66 podcast. And we are going to go back... Uh, we had we had a very successful contest last year um, for for a similar giveaway of the Force and Destiny core rulebook, um, and we're going to do the same thing here. We are going to open up for the Nexus of Power copy a liner contest. Liners, 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 liners. We want your liners, boys and girls. We want them. We want us. We want you to tell us who you are and why you never listened to the Order sixty six podcast. Um, you can uh, email these liners to us. Uh, go ahead and email them to me, gmchris at d20radio.com, with the subject heading of liner contest. 
these um, because I get a lot of emails. <laughs> um, you are welcome to send multiple submissions if you would like. You can also, if you're not too hot on being able to record your own voice, you're not that tech savvy, you can just give us a phone call and leave your leave it there. Um, uh, call us at 262-D20-RADIO. That's 262-320-7234. And, um, you know, tell us uh, you know, that you're leaving a liner for the liner contest and then leave us the liner. Um, we, uh, if you are calling in, however, um, well, please be sure to leave, uh, either a forum name or an email address so we can actually contact you back. We had a couple for the last contest that were called in. It was like, that's a great liner. I have no idea how to get a hold of you. <laughs> right. Um, so, so there is that. Uh, but as far as the timing on this, guys, we want to give you a little bit of a time to do this. So, um, Dave, you and I were throwing this around. Do you want to go with a full month on this? Yeah, we can go until um, July the first and say, or June, bring it yeah. bring it in by that weekend. You know, I think uh, yeah. I think I think July the fourth falls on a Monday. So if you're if we're um, oh yeah, let's do let's do the let's do the first let's do the first of July. I think that's that's perfect. So for that contest, um, it will be through the first of July. You guys have a full four weeks to get your best liners to us. Now these will be judged uh, by myself, Dave, and Phil. Um, and we will, as we did last year, um, judge them on their uh, hilarity, originality, creativity, and uh, production may help you, but will not be a deciding factor because not everybody is an expert at production. So uh, the absolutely hilarious, um, most interesting man in the galaxy bit won last year, um, and he continues to send those in, which is fantastic. Uh, Andrew Howell, uh, Ecoma Jedi on the forums. So it's good. So that is the first contest that we are doing. Dave, what are we going to do for End of the World? You know, I want for this one, I really wanted to do something special and something that we can <clears throat> create some content for, and it's not exactly what we talked about before. Yeah. How about if we do an encounter design contest? Ooh. I don't think we've done anything like this at all. So Not to my knowledge. I th- we've encounter? done we've done NPC builds. We've done, and that's what I think we kind of lean toward in the NPC builds. But we did, we did. But I I, I think I want to up the ante a little bit, if that's okay with you, and say build us an encounter, and and you know it, not with without respect to. Uh, PCs, right? To PCs, levels and things of that nature. Or system. I mean, any system you guys right. want. Any system, anything, anywhere. Just throw us an encounter, and but make it designed for six PCs, unless the system doesn't support six. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really the goal. Um, what we're looking at here, guys, um, is roughly a paragraph or two describing the details of the encounter and scene, as well as any relevant threats that you feel appropriate. Um, these need to be emailed. Uh, J- Dave, do you want to collate these, or you want to send them to me? Yeah, you can email them to me, gmdave at thegamernation.org, and points for originality, points for thoroughness. So, like, statting out the uh, the bad guys, for example. Very important. And how about uh, adaptability to any campaign at any moment to just be dropped Exactly, and see, yeah, th- that's another thing, too, is the ones that are... The ones that you can use for just to be, you know, you can drag it and drop it into a D&D 5e campaign. Great. Any campaign. Awesome. Yep. Now, the intent here, guys, is that these encounters are not only going to be judged by us. They're, of course, we're not just going to hoard them and not share them with anybody. Um, the cream of the crop are going to be made available uh, as a part of a recurring uh, uh, segment on d20radio.com on the blog. Uh, so that these encounters, especially the winners will be, will be uh, and, and the finalists, 
will be uh, featured as, as keynote articles um, detailing that. But we want it. We absolutely want it. So two contests for you guys. One is a liner contest for Nexus of Power. You have until the 1st of July to get that in. Email gmchris at d20radio.com with the subject of liner contest. The second is an encounter design contest. Six PCs, adaptability, any system, any details you'd like to put in. Email gmdave at thegamernation.org. Uh, subject heading encounter contest. You want to you wanna limit it to 500 words? That's so not, we don't get like a four-page entry from somebody. That's not a lot of words. Um, five hundred words. I have five. Hey, five hundred words is like about a page. Single right? space. Two? It's about a page. Yeah. Single space by page. Yeah. I don't know. Hey, Keith, you're the pro. What would you suggest? I, I would not let them go over a thousand, or you guys aren't going to have time to read them. Yeah, fair enough. Let's do. Let's do a thousand words. Make sense. But like, you should be able to get it done in five hundred if you're doing if you're putting time in. In my mm. opinion. If you're doing it right, you should go 500. All right, I leave it to you, sir. 500 word count it is. All right. Basically, one page, single space. That's what we're looking for. All right. Excelente. Excelente. And uh, July 1st date on that as well? Yes, July 1st. Fantastic. Now, the winner of these uh, books, uh, winners, whoever whoever you are, uh, we will ship them anywhere in the world. Yes, we will do that for you. So if you're one of our listeners... Uh, down in Aussie land um, or New Zealand, or we even have some listeners in far dark reaches of Europe, <laughs> northern and eastern and central and western. Um, we even, I think, have some listeners in the South African area. We will ship there as well. Um, so don't let your geographical distance be a hindrance. Uh, <clears throat> there, That's right. There is, there is that. But we want it, guys. So two new contests. Let's get going. Let's get going. Heck yes. It's awesome. Exciting Super stuff. awesome. Uh, other post-show stuff. Can I plug something really quick? Heck yeah. Um, I'm going to be, for those of you listening before Saturday, uh, if you're in the Chicagoland area, or broader Chicagoland area, I'm going to be in Joliet at the Joliet Public, Star War, uh, Joliet Public Library where they do their annual Star Wars Day. I think last year they had like 8,000 people show up. Oh, wow. Like 200 or more 501st people. Um, I'm going to be there running games, mostly for kids. Um, the uh, EU writer, uh, John Jackson Miller, has done some of the comics and novels and stuff. Uh, he'll be there again. It'll be his second year. And uh, Dave Dorman will be there. And I think Dave Dorman, he's there every year. This will be like his fifth in a row. He huh. used to paint a lot of the Dark Horse comics covers. So uh, we'll be there. And they, I think last year, this year, they're expecting like 10,000 people to show up. It's Saturday, June 4th, Joliet Public Library. Dude, I was in Joliet on Wednesday. I saw that. I wish I had time to hang out. Uh, did you drive around? Did you go past the uh, the prison? No. Oh, that's where Joliet Jake, Jake uh, Jake Blues, that's where he was interned, fictionally. <laughs> that's the spot. That's uh, where I go play paintball, or haven't in a long time, but where I used to go play paintball all the time, also in Joliet Challenge Park. Dude. It's a little, it's a little out there. It's a haul from the city, but yeah, it was a good forty-five minute drive. But yeah. we were just in and out for a day. Boom, boom. What, what brought you there? Uh, sales demo for left? our oh, company. Okay. Yeah, there's a there's a little bank. Uh, well, not a little bank, a pretty pretty a fairly large bank called First Midwest out there. Sure. But yeah, it's a great convention. 
I have a good time out there. I just, the third year. Usually I'm teaching, uh, um, I'm demoing the Star Wars game for kids aged like 4 to 10, 4 to 12. So really, really, really young kids playing probably their first RPG game ever. Um, and I teach Star Wars, you know, Edge of the Empire. I teach it in like a minute and a half. And we play for half an hour and then uh, another group of six rolls in. That's kind of cool. Oh, I love it. It's exciting. The, the, the kids keep you on your toes. I had uh, um, one young girl. She was, she was there. She was kind of thrown into the game because her brother wanted to do it. And there were four other boys playing as well. And they started kind of like, we're going to go this way, but make her go that way. And uh, um, she didn't care. She was playing the spy pregen from the AOR beginner box. Yeah. And uh, um, so we and we were using like the the Moss Edda map or whichever one it is, the pre the beginner box map yeah, yeah. of the Tatooine town. And the idea was the the group landed and they had to sneak two crates of black market bootleg video games from one end of the spaceport to the other. <laughs> but the customs agents, the stormtrooper custom agents, were everywhere looking for them and they had to sneak it through. So, um, and they made the poor girl go the other way. Um, so she went to the, the traffic control tower or something like that. And she was the spy. So she, she, uh, she killed a guard. She put on his uniform, super star Wars style. And she infiltrated the, the control tower and she had the, the high computer skills as well. So she got on a computer and she's like, I want to order pizza and set up a pizza party for all of the guards. Uh, and I want to, I want them to have it at this like far corner of the base. And then she rolled her dice and sure enough, a triumph pops up and the whole thing. I'm like, cool, this is happening. She's like, and I'm like, so you got this triumph. What do you want to do with it? You could do something crazy, something that, that would be hard to do. And she's like, I know I want, I want to pay for it with Darth Vader's credit card. <laughs> it was great. It was great. So, uh, uh, you know, it worked. So all the storms, this, this girl saved the day completely uh, while the boys were bumbling around trying to sneak and shoot their way through town. But all the stormtroopers got called away on a pizza party. It was great. That's, uh, don't like, you love the mind of children, right? They are so not confined to the linear space that most gaming groups live in. No, there is no box. So, yeah, you have to, you have to really be on your toes as a GM. If you want to talk about embodying the... Uh, the yes, yes, but or yes and sort of spirit of running uh, of GMing a game like GM for like some seven year olds and see what they come up with for problem solving and don't lead them just like show them the problem and and show them the map or whatever else you got and let them come up with their own thing. They're way smarter than people give them credit for. They'll find a solution that works for them. Dude, that's awesome. No, I love doing it. I go back every year because. They, they bring in hundreds and hundreds of kids that have never played. That's really cool. Man, that's really cool. Dude. Did y'all watch Game of Thrones on Sunday? Yeah. I did, of course. Yeah, of course. the hell is it with all the new people? Hold the door. Well, they killed all the old ones. <laughs> there's, no, there's, no, there's no other ones left. You know what? I am so used to people dying on Game of Thrones, but the way they... This is a spoiler. If you if you're over a week behind, I'm sorry, but the way they killed Hodor just left a lump in door. my throat, dude. Dude, I cried like a baby, and he was, you're supposed to. And that's the thing. That was one of the few deaths that was meaningful. It's like yes. it's like it's like okay, this guy has one purpose in life, and he does it. It's just 
that's fucking tragic. What's tragic to me is thinking about like for the whole show that we've known him where he's only said the word Hodor, every time he said it, it's because he's reliving his death that like he either knows or doesn't know is coming. But he's so traumatized by that. Like that's the only thing that comes out of his mouth. But like some part of him must know where it's all going. Right. Mm. Right. It's, and then, yeah. So I, I, <clears throat> yeah. And I, I don't, I don't even begin to hazard the guess of how badass a badass is, is, uh, is brand is going to be. Well, okay. So since we're in spoiler territory, we're talking about this, like, okay. So at this point, <laughs> it's clear that the three eyed Raven can actually not only just view the past, but actually impact it, impact yeah. it influence it. But, but it's not a. But then again, it already happened, right? So he's destined to do it. You know, it's already. That's what he said. It's already been written. So whatever he's going to do, he's already done. It's like the Matrix. You already, you've already made the choice. Now you have to understand it. It's. It's. I, I just the what that opened up is pretty intense. Now, what what new characters are you talking about? The guy with the flaming flail thing. The dude. Yeah, the dude with the flaming dude, thing that fought off the the dead. Folk, I love right? that that guy showed up because if you remember a couple seasons back, but he's an there old were like the people with the flaming sword or whatever, and it's like who the hell are these people? But he's an old character. It's Benjamin. Yeah, but I don't remember him. Do I don't remember, remember him either. Him yeah, like, and really? Sam's whole family. I don't remember Sam's whole family. No, I don't no, remember Sam, him. No, no, no. I, Sam, Sam's whole family is new. But like Uncle Benjamin was like, he was in, all through season one and part of season two. And um, like I saw his face and it didn't seem like a reveal to me. I was like, oh, whoever yeah, this guy is. Yeah, it's Uncle Benjamin. He he was like, he was the guy who convinced John to come. And uh, he's Ned's brother, basically. And, and well, since he's Uncle Benjamin. Um, and well, that kind of messes with Jon Snow's claim, then, doesn't it? A little bit. Well, I... if he's not on the same page, yeah. Except now he's like a crazed half White Walker thing. So I. Well, but not everybody knows that. Yeah, honestly, I don't think Benjamin will ever go south of the Wall again. That's just that's just just me. Yeah, um, that's just me. I'm I'm. I don't, I don't Is know. a book reader. I'm sorry. What? Is that you as a book reader though, or? Um, I'm not caught up, um, on the last book, so no. I don't know. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. It's really, it's really, really interesting. I, I, I found the episode yesterday to be less than, um, I don't know. It was, it was one of those timekeeping episodes. The, the one, <clears throat> the thing that is just kind of advancing the storyline, but, you know, the brand story is cool. The Sam stuff was great, though. I really liked it. It was uh, nice character building. It was a nice little story arc, you know. He also has Valerian Steel now. Now he that's right. He's got Valerian Steel. What a guy. And then of course, you know, Khaleesi's off doing her Khaleesi thing again. Finally get some fucking dragons back in the mix, yeah. Damn Skippy. But yeah. it's setting up this confrontation that I have just been waiting for. Right. With Arya. Yeah, okay, so I've been I've been wondering. It's like it's all gonna come to a head. There's no way they're gonna keep her over there in Bravos doing all this crap for years and years and years. Now there's the tipping point. It's like, okay, it's about to get real. It's exciting. I love the show. But I think you're right, Dave, in that like the show's usually really good about like juggling all these different storylines so that every episode has one like major huge thing happening. And this episode kind of didn't. It had a lot of slightly smaller things happening. Although with Ira she uh, she turned away from all that whole path she was on, so it was pretty big. I just don't know that they played it up for maximum impact. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I guess you can say that the Lannisters finally kind of got caught a bad break, too. 
Mm-hmm. With little boy King getting influenced right. by uh, Sparrow. He's got no luck with those kids, man. It's the inbreeding. <laughs> it's the inbreeding. That's exactly what it is. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice, nice. It's comma. Comma. Yeah, comma is a word. Dude. So anyway, um, yeah, that 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 sort of my prophecy about Golden State has come true. Have you guys all seen Captain America: Civil War? Have you talked about that on a post show already? Yeah, we talked about that on the last uh, last post show, I think. Yeah, but what are what are your thoughts on it, man? I think it was so 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 good. <laughs> That's pretty much our analysis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was awesome. Zemo Zemo's art kind of suffered a little bit, but like, what are you gonna do? There's uh, so much gonna, going on. I just think it? like they they did such a good job of balancing a big cast and giving everybody like a mini arc or at least their big moment without without it feeling like X-Men 3 where there was just a, a mess of too much going on. Still haven't seen it. Of you still haven't seen X-Men 3? No, after the I re- mean don't I, don't bother now. Yeah, after but. the after the reviews, I, the initial <laughs> reviews I was like, I'm just going to wait. I haven't seen Batman versus Superman either. Yeah, I skipped that one too. And I, I haven't yeah. seen the new X-Men the Apocalypse yet. That one I'll probably see eventually, oh, but wait, wait. my thing I, is... I'm sorry. I've, I'm sorry. I've seen X-Men 3, yes. What I haven't seen is the new X-Men. Apocalypse. Right. Yeah, I haven't seen the new... Yeah, the, the, the reviews kind of turned me off too, but then I've had some friends say that they, they did like it. I don't know. I probably will see it eventually, but I'm not in the rush I might have otherwise been. Well, you know, Poe Dameron is playing uh, Apocalypse. I know, so. yeah. 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 Um, okay, uh, there was, there's a movie. I, I finally caught it because it was free on Amazon Prime that uh, Oscar Isaac um, was in, and he was like only three act, three or four actors in the entire film. The um, Ex Machina? Ex Machina, yeah. That was, that was a trip of a film. I heard it was really good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, um, but his performance was absolutely stellar. And if you have any, any concerns about his acting ability, just watch that film. But it's uh, pretty, pretty intense. Um, and, and what was ironic was that the... The, he was one lead. The other lead was Domhnall Gleeson. The other male lead was Domhnall Gleeson. Okay. Um, who, ironically, plays General Hux, right? So, uh, <laughs> buddies. Um, I was watching them on screen together, and I expected, you know, I, I'm expecting this exchange to happen in my fanboy uh, fanfics. It just doesn't. Your really slash happen. fiction. My slash fiction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shipping. Shipping Hux and Poe. <laughs> Heard it here first. All right, so Wednesday night, I get to throw down um, my my Wednesday night Skype group um, has been running through. Brev has been running um, uh, some fifth edition for us. He's been taking us through uh, Castle Ravenloft, the updated version. Sure. Um, but uh, he's going on hiatus for a couple of weeks, and so I'm getting to throw down Tiny Dungeon, which I'm really excited to play. Um, it's 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 like the the PDF is like three dollars. I've, I've got to write a GDP on it because it's just so sexy. Um, after I run it for the first time, I probably will. But uh, it's just wonderfully abridged fantasy role playing. Very simple, very very clean and crisp, um, and very easy to do. So I'm excited to do that. Uh, but there's so much stuff I've I've written about lately, and I'm getting on the table for the first time, um, and and wanting to get on the table. My my GDP I just wrote about Dayfly. This is a weird little RPG. <laughs> um. That I, I recommend, but man, I, I also recently wrote up a GDP on Hollow Point. Um, they got published, uh, another great game, and I've got one in the wings. Um, it's been scheduled, I think. Um, I'm not sure when Wayne is going to be pu- publishing it, but 
uh, a GDP on fear fetchers. Have you guys heard of fear fetchers? I have not. No. Nope. It's, it's free. So if you Google it, you can download it for free. Um, but it's it's basically it's almost like the it's almost like the conceit of Monsters Inc. Like imagine imagine if you wanted Monsters Inc. to be a role playing game, but the monsters aren't benevolent. Okay, they're still goofy and kind of childlike, but uh, and kind of silly. But they're they're going out in the world with the intent of scaring the crap out of people and collecting their fear. Um, but character creation is all about and advancement is all about building your monster, like from body parts. And, and each, you know, and so each body part confers specific stat bonuses, um, but it's still it's still got a lot of levity to it. Um, highly recommend it. Right on. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have my group next has uh, we just had Andy Hop on. I don't know if you know him. He does uh, Mother Oith. It's got like this crazy weird sort of like Fraggle Rock meets. Uh, uh, that that disgusting close up shot and Ren and Stimpy, yeah, you know, like those kind of worlds combined, and it's just really it's gross out, disgusting, but you know, <laughs> funny and light. Um, so he brought his game, which is it's a Savage Worlds reboot, but the setting's so out there. He has a card game he did too. Really? Yeah, uh, Low Teak L O W T I Q U E dot com. I think is his site. Very cool. But uh, yeah, he looks like Danny DeVito, but he does a lot of great voices. He's super entertaining GM. So we just we just played that, me with my group. Which is a lot of fun. I enjoy Savage Worlds, it's fun. What's not to enjoy? And Savage Rifts, imminent. Imminent. Good. We'll see if it's any good. I <laughs> I have I have very poor memories of Rifts, but that's mostly because the system was sucky. But... Right, well you're talking you have very poor memories of Palladium is what you have. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Palladium's RPG system. Yeah, honestly, Before. that's the only Palladium product I've ever played. Oh, Robotech is what I was weaned on. That was the first one I ever played. Okay. Because um, me and my friends were Robotech nerds back in the back in the day. But uh, we played Rifts for a long, long time because we were like twelve or thirteen, and the book had three girls with boobs on the cover. So at that age, that was that was very exciting for us. That's a big deal in adolescence. Yes. You know. Uh, but no, the setting it's 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 a great setting, man. Because you could you could basically do anything. You could mash up anything. You could do, you know, a barbarian from D&D with a Jedi, with a Boba Fett, with a Green Beret from Modern, with a superhero. Yeah. Like, that could be your party. Yeah, Dave, I know you've never played Rifts, um, but, yeah, Keith's description is accurate. It was the idea where there's, like, this dimensional breakdown, and so all these different universes start colliding and collapsing and portals between them, so you have these radically different, like Keith said, yeah. It's here. Here's here's a, here's Mecha fighting Cthulhu and right. fighting a wizard and a Jedi and a squad of Marines with Spider Man. Like whatever you got, man. <laughs> like whatever cool. whatever you got. Rainbow Bright can show up. Like it don't matter. <laughs> it all it all fits. Oh, it's like the original uh, Marvel heroic role playing system. The, like the old one back in the nineties. You know. Man, you know what? I, I know that the Marvel rights uh, for the RPG game are tied up somewhere else, doing something else. But I would love it if FFG got them because technically it's all Disney now, right? Word. Like I would love to work on a Marvel hero game for FFG. I think that would be amaze balls. Well, like the original Marvel game, I remember like Aunt May could kill Galactus with a frying pan if she rolled well <laughs> enough. <you know? laughs> 
You know, it was it was like if, if the dice if the dice were really in your favor, it could happen. Um, but like, I almost wouldn't make the the game about uh, about like a traditional core book with like expansion books. I'd make a game that was almost all beginner boxes with pregens. That would be like the game line. It would be like we're going to release a new box of this game every six to twelve months, and your pregens would all be established characters. So like, you're going to be Spider Man. For this adventure, the Defenders are teaming up. So it's Spider-Man and Iron Fist and, you know, Luke Cage and whoever else. And, well, and you're going well, to fight this thing and that's what you're doing. And then once that's done, cool, set that aside, buy another box. And this time you could be Captain America and Iron Man and whatever. And you're going to play through this pre-generated module. So, I mean, the, but the last, Mar- the, the Margaret Weiss Marvel joint, you know, that, that they did a couple years ago. I mean, it was it was all pre-gens as well. It was, you know... There, there were no, you, you pretty much had to hack character creation rules. It was all just pregens of okay, you want to play Daredevil? Here you go, Spider Man. Here you go. Right. I think I think that's I think that's what people would prefer. So I think I, if you're buying the Marvel hero game, I mean, unlike Star Wars, where it's so much about the setting, the Marvel setting is still it's freaking New York City. Who cares? Yeah, I'm weird in the fact that I want to be able to make my own character. S- somebody's gonna want to, and I, yeah, put out the put out a book to let people do it, but. I don't know. I think I think for me, I would want the focus to be like you want that experience of like I'm playing this this widely popular character that I know from movies and comics and whatever. I think it'd be at least something different in the space. Yeah. But you're acknowledging right away that like we're building a game built for one shots. Yeah. Very cool. But that's me. <laughs> Oh, well, guys, I think I'm gonna have to call it. Very well. All right, man. Oh, Keith, thank you again, man. It was good having you on. You know, I love being on. Maybe I'll come back when uh, Forged in Metal comes out. Ooh. Or or other things. Or other things. Did we ever get a name? Oh, for what the episode? For the episode, we had some really interesting ones. Honestly, my favorite. I'm trying to go back through. Um, so somebody said something about like rise of the XP, fall of something. Okay, my favorite was what to expect when you're expecting, but it's what, uh, what, what to XP, XP yeah. act when you're when you are XP acting. What do you expect when you're expecting? I think Clever. That's, I think Clever. that's my favorite. But <laughs> um, others we had was XP overwhelming, overqualified. You guys got a favorite? Uh, man, you, I don't know. You could just call it Keith Ryan Capel's Amazing and Road and Epic <laughs> RPG. I don't know. What you uh, need. Yes, yes, just what you need. Another ego boost. Yeah, no, you know, that's why I'm here. <laughs> oh, man. All right, well, we'll figure it out. For sure. Good night, Gamer Nation. And good luck.